Wrestling Geeks out there thank you guys listening to wrestling geeks alliance a weekly show in which me and my co-host christopher brother ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and give you guys our opinions on the shows that we uh you know watched uh we got a, a doozy of a show uh tonight uh, we're gonna be going over SummerSlam finally for you guys <laughs> it's been a little while since SummerSlam, but you know Give our results, what we thought of it, or what we can remember of it. Uh, we're going to go over NXT. We're going to go over AEW. And we're going to go over uh, the, the uh, PWI Top 500. Not all 500. Uh, but we'll get over, you know, a little bit of that. But joining me, of course, is my brother-in-arms, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, man. It's been a, it's been a, a less hectic week. And uh, got a cold beer. Got you on the line. So talk some wrestling. I'm super excited. How was your week? Good, man. It wasn't too bad at work. It was very light. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I decided that I'm going to get my, my deviated septum corrected. And I get it corrected next month. So it's going to be great soon to be able to breathe out of both nostrils for the first time, uh, I think, ever. So that should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be like a whole new world. It's like when you're a kid and you get glasses or contacts for the first time, you're like, holy shit, I've never been able to see. It's going to be like that, but breathing. Exactly, which would be <laughs> nice. You've been smelled behind, son. I can't smell. <laughs> I feel like, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, man, Dude. Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox. <laughs> the great Dewey Cox. Um, anyways, but yeah, we got we got a doozy of a show for you guys. Um, I think we'll start it out. With uh, going over the PWI Top 100, uh, this is released obviously yearly. If you guys don't know anything about it, quit living underneath a rock. Um, but this list, it, it's it's judged in different ways, and the guys have kind of gone over this. It's not to be taken as seriously. They're putting kayfabe style stuff within their reasoning of of, of who the hell they pick for their top 500. But still, if you're on Twitter or anything like that and you watch the wrestlers, they take this up a, l- a little bit to heart sometimes. <laughs> Mr. Adam Cole was cool with his position but definitely wanted one next uh, year. But um, I will, we're, we're, we're mainly going to go over probably more some from the, the bottom of the list and especially the top of the list. But, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I'll do, Chris. I'm going to pass to you with the top ten. Ten AJ Styles. 9, Kofi Kingston, 8, Seth Rollins, 7, Cody Rhodes, 6, Kazuchika Okada, 5, Tetsuya Naito, 4, Drew McIntyre, 3, Chris Jericho, 2, Adam Cole, and as you know, because they said it on AEW Dynamite, number 1, John Moxley. What do you think about this top 10? Um, I forgot the date. I thought it was on here in which they judge it, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's from July 1st of 2019 to July or to June 30th of 2020. So keep that in mind. 
Um, yeah, so I want to start this with giving the, the let's, let me give the previous winners of the number one, right? So 2015, we had Seth Rollins. 16, we had Roman Reigns. 17, we had Okada. 18, we had Omega. 19, we had Seth Rollins. And this year, we have John Moxley. Like you said, they do base this off not only drawing power, but uh, quality of matches. Win-loss record, technical ability, influence on the sport, success against the highest grade of competition, success against the most diverse competition, activity, and obviously, like we said, you know, kind of kayfabe stuff. So, there you go. And, I mean, if you look at this top ten, you have, I mean, looking at the top ten, there's, I mean, these are all the names I would expect to be there right now, right? I mean, there's no one that's just glaring. I mean, you could you could argue that Adam Cole had better matches than John Moxley. So, he has a he has a spot at, at number one, I think. You could also argue that Chris Jericho, in theory, was bigger for... AEW as a company as a whole being their kind of launching part and he was on fire as their champion especially if you're going all the way back to last year um and he had he had a good run in uh, new japan as well so it's it's one of those things that's kind of a little bit of a toss-up with the top 10 but i think they got the top 10 right overall and i have no problem with them slotting in moxley considering what he was able to accomplish in the g1 in the matches he had in new japan and becoming the yep. champion there uh, plus the matches that he's had in AEW and the promos he's been able to cut. And, and uh, it's 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 very hard to make an argument on, on anything. I mean, anyone that's better, like outside of this top three, I think the top three is very solid for me um, on who yeah. I would put there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And we'll go over some more of the ones after that because I'm sure people are wondering where certain people are. But Kofi Kingston, when did he lose to Brock Lesnar? Do you remember, like, roughly? It would have been at one of the – didn't – it was one of the Saudi shows, right? No, or I think it was, like right – it was the, the first SmackDown when they went to Fox, I believe. Yeah, I'm just that's... wondering, was that, was that title reign a part of that time period? It would have to be because he won it at Mania. Yeah, that's right. No, you're right. So, I mean, that title reign was a big deal. I think that, you know. And then he was tag champions, like, right after that, too, as well. Yeah. And, I mean, Kofi, I, I, I would. Not only what he's done in the ring, but outside of the ring, him and Big E and uh, Xavier Woods. I mean, I know they don't necessarily look at that as much. But I would yeah. say if you look at all of um, his run from. Right before WrestleMania until even just if you did WrestleMania to WrestleMania, he had a pretty damn good run. They booked him really strong. Um, not, I mean, I, the only thing you could pro- possibly say is in-ring work. There's some other people that you could have thrown into this. But, I mean, Kofi Kingston, I think this is the first time he's ever made the top ten, as far as I can tell. No, I take That's that back. Awesome. He also made it in 2019. Because that oh. would have included part of his run, the beginning part, of it, and the win from the WrestleMania. Run. Yeah. Well, I I even think Chris, if you if you keep on going down, if we do up to 25, this is a really fucking solid list. Because all right, so we go 11: Keith Lee, Brock Lesnar, Kenny Omega, Roman Reigns, Nick Aldis, Bray Wyatt, 
Kota Bushi, uh, Roosh, Braun Strowman, Jacob Fatu, Will Ospreay, MJF, Alistair Black, Kento, Mayahara, and Walter. So, I mean, I, I, some, uh, obviously, I don't know better than others, but, I mean, how even if it's an MLW, how dominant of a champion Jacob Fatu has been since he got there. Um, you know, of course, Kota's in here. Regardless of his in-ring work, The Fiend has had its, its rises and falls, so Bray Wyatt makes sense. Kenny maybe is a little high, just because I just don't think he's done a lot, even in AEW. But, you know, I'm saying that with one of my favorites. MJF is at 22. You know, this is a, for, for the first 25, I definitely agree. I like Nick Aldis at uh, 15. I think it's being reasonable with Roman Reigns that he's not in the top 10. You know, Brock's at 12. Keith Lee's at 11. This is a good top 25, I, I think. I would have possibly had – I mean, there's some things I would have moved around here specifically. Like Kenny Omega would have been lower on my list, just if you're only yep. doing from last year to this year. Um, yep, I agree. Kota Ibushi would have been higher. I think I might have had Lesnar – well, no, where Lesnar's at is kind of okay, just because he hasn't done that much uh, with COVID. Um, Will Osprey would be further – well, I guess if you count as the stuff before G1. I, see, that's the thing. is It's kind of all running together <laughs> It's to some extent. Um, Nakamura, right outside of 25, I, had, I, I would have him way further down. Yeah. No, I agree. This is uh, two I want to throw at you. That Well, two of them I'm, I'm assuming – two guys I'm assuming is going to be higher next year based on what they've been through as of lately. And one of them I'm surprised actually a little higher is uh, Kevin Owens is at 37. And I feel like Rey Mysterio and especially Randy Orton are going to be much higher uh, next year. Rey Mysterio being at 43 and Randy Orton being 48. I definitely think Randy Orton's going to be probably in the top 20, if not top 15, if not top 10. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if they can, if they if he's going to have a longer run with this title for a while and some good feuds, you could definitely make the argument that he would deserve to be in the top 10 because I think he's had some really good promos. He hasn't had the best matches, but none of them have been bad um, by any means. It gets more crazy when you start seeing people's names that pop up on this list. Like, I personally would have Adam Page a lot higher. Um, I would yep. Kevin Owens just because of some injuries and some booking decisions. I think he's probably where he needs to be. Um, yeah. Hey, how about this? Who would you have higher? Because I think they've had pretty much, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying between Adam Page and his tag partner Kenny Omega, who would you have higher on the countdown? Because I would have Adam Page. Over the past like six to eight months, I would have Adam Page for sure. But like they both held the title, and that's it for it for both of them, right? Adam Page lost the the, the, the first number one contender match. What the hell has Kenny done? Oh well, he did win the AAA title. Heavyweight title. Is that about it, though? He had some good matches, uh, singles matches, with Ambrose and Pac. And yeah, that Pac match. That 30-minute Iron Man match. That was a good match. I mean, like, for instance, and this is nothing against Matt Taven, and maybe it's just because I don't watch as much Ring of Honor, because the, the, the only match I can think of right offhand with him was Roosh from, God, I think it was, like, back in October. Uh I would technically probably have him lower than where he's at. 
I, I definitely would not have him above Johnny Gargano. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, Glad to see certain people on this top 100, though. Um, you know, Darby Allen is definitely going to be higher than 55 next year, I would say. Uh, I'm glad Sammy made the top 100. I'm glad Kenta, because he had a fucking terrible last couple years over in WWE. Uh, uh, trying to think. Orange Cassidy, if they keep booking him the way they have, he definitely will not be sitting at 84. Nope. And Otis won't be, uh, <laughs> will probably will be higher than 69 next year if he keeps on getting over. Willie Mack. Nick Gage is on here. 67? All right. And then there's people like Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson who have been such a huge part of AEW and have had some really, really good matches, and they're below Nick Gage. And it's because they're a tag team. So some of this stuff is – I mean, it's all – Pentagon Jr. is in between them. I can see that. He hasn't been as big as a single star uh, this last year. Matt Brittle is going to be higher. Tessa Blanchard's on the the men's. I guess that makes sense. She won the uh, TNA championship. Um, Paulo Cruz is a little bit too high. He's right now doing good, in my opinion. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Some of these are more like, oh, they got pushed at the tail end of this thing. Now we should throw them in there. Because Apollo Cruz was just, like, a jobber until Paul Heyman kind of took over. And then he got injured. So he's just now getting pushed to the level where I would even consider him in the in, in the top 100. If I had to sit down and sketch out a top 100 list, the other would be like The Miz. Like I don't know how The yeah. Miz is technically in the top 100 or um, – ah, man. Like Leo Rush, he had some great cruiserweight matches, but he spent a lot of this time off. Was he, yeah, was he doing anything on the independence? I was thinking that too. No, because I mean he was basically fired, rehired. Oh, here's another one. Here's another person that's going to be higher next year. Karrion Cross. Jungle Boy will be higher next year, but I was happy he made it. Ricky Starks, who did good in NWA. He was a TV champion. Ace Austin, within that time period, was uh, the X Division champion over at. Like some of these, Scorpio Sky will be higher next year. Alexander Hammerstone, the MLW Open Weight Champion. I'm gonna try to get him in an interview soon, but really good dude. I was happy that he got to the top hundred. And John Morrison's a good person to, to you know end it at because honestly he didn't do too much in between, but now he's in WWE and he's a huge star. So. Alberto Carrillo should not be in 91, though. <laughs> I mean, imagine a world where Nick Gage is on this list, but Suzuki is not. <laughs> yeah, where is Minoru Suzuki? <laughs> it's like they just forgot he fucking existed, apparently. Um, I would definitely have Minoru Suzuki on this list. Yep. Uh, at least in the top 100. We haven't seen the, the – we will see the top, you know, 500. I'm sure maybe he's falling just outside. But, like, Jay Lethal's been injured for the past six months with a yeah broken I, leg. I agree with you. And, like, I'm trying to think of, like, someone else. Sonata should be way higher. I think even though he's lost most of that, that last match that he needed to win, if you will, in a lot of scenarios, he still fucking puts on amazing matches. Like Jonathan Gresham, for instance. Once again, a Ring of Honor guy. He's from here, but 
I you're mean, just being realistic. Yeah, like above Minoru Suzuki, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. So I would say, if you look at this top 20, there's obviously guys you can rotate around. Maybe the top 25. Yeah, I think the top um, 25 is pretty solid. The top 25 of this list is... is. Uh, I, I believe he would be in. I want to say all. all is Japan? he in all Japan? Yeah, he's in all Japan. He's their current cha- or he was their champion for a while. He's he's apparently people are super high on him, and I need to probably watch some more. Me too. Uh, of his matches, it, it's just all Japan is. Uh, it's it falls by the wayside as we've talked about on this show. But he's been the I think he's been the triple crown champion there for a long period of time. Well, damn. Uh, but yeah, so I we probably he's probably ranked lower just because of what we were saying. I think he was ranked in the top twenty-five last year too. Yeah, so he's just probably not getting as much publicity. I bet his matches are probably better than some of the people that are <laughs> in the top twenty-five. Now that I think about it, considering what I've heard about him and how hard, let's say like Dave and uh, Dave Meltzer and, and Mike, who does uh, I can't think of his fucking last name, but from Sipervivi with his show talking about uh, Japanese wrestling, they really put this guy over as. Someone that could definitely be a, a future star in Japan if he—I mean, he's already a star, but could be like the ne- a, a next up kind of big star. Um, so that's that's just on me as far as not knowing enough of his work. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think this top 25 is is pretty solid. Hey, good good for PCO man to come in at 31 at his age, and he won the fucking Ring of Honor Championship. He was killing it in MLW. You know, it's just funny that uh, I forgot what his, his name was. When he was in WWE, it was something I would let, I think. But good, good shit, man. You know that that's a cool story. I don't, I don't think he's champion anymore. But I haven't kept up with Ring of Honor in a while. I think Roosh is champion still. Well, yeah, PCO got injured, right? I think um, he. I'm pretty sure he retired. I thought. So I remember. God, I uh, want to say that he had gotten injured and kind of stepped away after. I want I want to say it was like a final battle or either final batter, battle or, or glory of honor one of those two and then kind of stepped away after he got hurt so I don't know I know I, I think I'm pretty sure Rush is still the current champion and PCO is the one that that dropped it to him so I gotta that's, be honest with you it, whatever you know for however long he had it that was just kind of cool that they put it on him because. That man was doing shit at his age that he should, probably shouldn't have, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that probably played into, if I remember right, his injury. <laughs> probably. Um, that happened at Atlanta. He had, like, an eye injury off a suicide dive in 2019. Maybe he came back after that, but maybe that's why I recall it so vividly. Is he that doesn't need to go after to the other eye, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just saying. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's a pretty good list, man. Uh, I definitely agree with a lot of it, or at least, you know, all the people on here. It's sad. That's actually it. I am as big of a wrestling f- mark because I know almost everyone on this list. I would say there's maybe five. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I love professional fucking wrestling. And it's cool. Because of the intergender stuff, just to piss off people that hate that, that 
they put Tessa Blanchard and Kylie Ray on here. So <laughs> whatever, man. I'm 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 completely down with this list. But remember, it's just it's a fun list. They make it every year. No one needs to take it that personal. Jesus. I mean, any other but last with comments? Ki- with, with Kylie Ray, is she higher on the list? I mean, I guess just because it's intergender. But if you're gonna throw female stars on this list, is she higher on the list than like say Oscar? Well, no, but I'm, she's probably lower on the female list than Oscar. Okay. This is facing male competitors, and she's had, like, a bunch of ones on the indies with various people, like dudes. Yeah, see, that's just, like, a wink and a nod kind of make it to the Basically. list kind of thing, which hey, I don't I, I think, care for. I, I think Effie is a really good wrestler. I don't know how he had a better year than Minoru Suzuki or a lot of the other ones that we're talking about. Um, and I've seen him a couple times on Independence. So, yeah, a lot. some of it, I would say, is a little bit of a wink and a nod. Tess, if anything, Tessa should be higher than fucking than her because she actually won the first heavyweight title from a major organization that was in the men's division. I don't think Kylie Ray did that. Maybe she did. I don't know the fuck. I don't know the independence that well, Chris. It's weird lands. Well, when you when you the, start when you start doing this crossover, it's not that I have a problem with it. It's just cross it over completely because there's a lot of there. There's been a lot of really really good female wrestling matches that you could point to and say, okay, well, look at how many good matches fucking Asuka has. She should be higher on this list than some of the guy wrestlers that are there, right? It's it, When you start throwing it in just because it's intergender, it, it makes it a bit odd. Um, well, that that's the weird thing. This is a male competition, but they have one specifically for the female wrestlers or in female competition. Yeah, and that's more of what I'm getting at is, well, if you're judging it on the criteria you're given, right? Yep. It either don't do it or completely do it, like merge the two. I think you should have an overall. If you want to do separate things or do stuff like that, then yeah, there should be a one that's, you know, evaluating overall who was the best this year. Period. Yeah, I mean, because there's been years in stardom where they're having, like, five-star matches and shit. You could easily see them, if you look at how big they are within their company, someone like uh, Io Shirai or Akiri Hojo before coming to NXT, you could easily point to that and say, well, why the fuck are they not in the top 100 overall? Like, so, I, I mean, just create an overall category if you kind of want to do this, 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 this matchup. And I don't even have a problem with it. Per se, except for how many intergender matches? Are you Jim Cornetting right now? How many intergender matches did Kylie Ray have, honestly? Uh, you know what? The, the funny thing is, the only <laughs> stuff I could find from her because I wanted to learn more about her when she joined Impact were intergender matches. One against uh, what the fuck? John Silver's the guy from uh, Dar- from um, the Dark Order. Uh, one against what the hell was the Ultimate Warrior guy? Um, Warhorse. There was a couple. I don't know, man. Maybe I should stop drinking beer. I mean, you could you could make that argument for Tessa because, like you said, she was like the first female Impact champion, and it seemed like every other week she was in an intergender match on TV. But Kylie Ray, as far as on a televised product or what we would consider a major platform, someone needs to explain to me how she would even be higher than Tessa Blanchard. In that account. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm trying to find the women's one. They haven't released it. Maybe they do it on the following episode. Because they did one last year. There was the first time. And they did a top 100. So we'll have to see how that bounces off from there. But I do agree with you. You got to. Some of it's tongue in cheek, man. I really has to be. I mean, I think that's the only way that you can look at it. But uh, statements about the list before we move on? No, just the, the top 25, I think, you know, minus maybe I would move some people here and there. Um, hey, not crazy to me at all. And it's not crazy that John Moxley won. I know some people were shocked, a little shocked by that, but he including was in his. Two fucking organizations making noise in that time period. So dumb. That and that promo video he did for AEW had definitely had people talking coming into AEW and stuff. I mean, like, uh, if, you, if you look at Atlanta, let's see, influence on the sport, I would say that that shows up. And especially if you consider the promo about how Vince handles things. Was it on the Jericho podcast? Kind yep. of the tell-all. So, you know, they, they throw that in there as well. And maybe that's some of the Tessa and Kylie Ray stuff is that it's a an overall influence on the sport. I'm sure. I'm sure that's exactly what it is. Um, anyways, I want to kind of go into the last uh, item of news. It's not greatest news that we found out from this morning, but the grandfather of wrestling, if you will, just because he seemed like a good old grandpa. Uh, Barb Armstrong passed away. I don't know the details of how uh, he passed. Um, I know that he fought cancer before in the past. He was about 80 years old. Yep, he was 80 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, especially younger listeners, that don't know a lot about Bob. But his style, I think a lot of people don't realize his influence that would kind of generate now because he had a very he didn't really do catch wrestling he did more you know uh, a faster paced uh change basically the people that he would influence would influence i'm not going to say kurt angle or daniel bryan but that type of level of, of grappling and he was also the perfect baby face he had a mass persona before owen before sammy you know there was the bullet uh, but he was just a great baby face and a great wrestler, like I said. And uh, I would recommend, like, you know, go- Google him. Obviously, you can catch some of his matches. He's got some great tag team matches with his son, uh, who also, unfortunately, had passed away in the, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Brad Armstrong. But, I mean, he was also the father, besides Brad, of Scott Armstrong, who's now a referee in WWE, uh, past wrestler. Steve um, Gerard, uh, who also wrestles, and then Brian Gerard, who is uh, Road Dog. So, you know, just good dude from Georgia, born in Marietta. Um, you know, older, definitely older generation wrestling. But check out some of his matches. He's had matches with Roddy Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I could only find little pieces and clips of certain things. So I'm gonna do some more deeper research on daily motion, basically uh, like I have to do sometimes to be able to get uh, more matches, but his single matches and then also his tag matches with his, uh, with his son, Brad, but um, Chris, you heard the news this morning passing of a legend that I hope is not forgotten. 
by modern generation because, like I said, I think that he he uh, he did a lot for the sport of professional wrestling. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I mean, just as a trainer, there's a lot of people that he influenced if you can find that kind of stuff. But I mean, he was uh, obviously worked in NWA. He was huge here in Georgia, specifically Savannah and, and, and Alabama and Florida, obviously. So if you're an older generation fan, you probably know more about Bullet Bob than both Dane and I combined. Um, hopefully, because he's part of the WWE Hall of Fame, I hope they do some kind of highlight package on him some of his matches to put together some of the footage they own because they have to own some footage that's maybe not on the network, some best of bullet Bob kind of thing. That would be great. I think that's really cool when they do stuff like that, especially with an unfortunate passing. Um, but obviously his son being the road dog, um, we've heard Jim Cornette. If you're a fan of Jim Cornette's podcast, he talks very highly of bullet bra uh, bullet Bob and his in ring work and, everything he was able to accomplish. Very sad, sad passing. Um, like you said, we don't know the details. We do know that he had kind of been through some, if I'm not mistaken, cancer recently. Bone cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so very unfortunate, but I definitely remember him showing up in Impact, the early days of Impact. Um, God, starting back in like 2002, 2000. 2002 2003 or something when they were still working with nwa they would bring in like dory funk and harley and and terry he was one of the guys they would bring in so i mean he's well known well respected and obviously uh sending good vibes to his family at this time that that, i mean a huge loss to the wrestling industry in general and you can just look on twitter and see people like cm punk talking about how nice bullet bob was and how much he learned from him things like that it's uh just very sad, but um, yeah, one hell of a career and, and a WWE Hall of Famer. Yeah, and uh, just what you were talking about with WWE Network. If you guys have the network, go down a couple from the different options, and they have a celebrating Bar, uh, Bob Armstrong part. Uh, it starts off with his induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. Then they have him going against the Demon. They have him and his son going against uh, Tully and Arn. They have, which should be a great fucking match. Uh, they have a match with them tagging with, um, I, I think it's Rick Martell and one other person going against the whole horseman. Uh, it just looks like they got the tail end, it looks like, of his career, unfortunately. Uh, but Brad and Bob going against Bill Dundee and Jimmy Garvin, that should be a great fucking match. So plenty of stuff that you guys can find. Um, and yeah, celebrate these wrestlers because... Just it's it sucks that Brad's gone too, man. That's what it also comes down to because he was one of the guys that, if you look at that generation of wrestlers, Chris, uh, a lot of them, you know, that were in WCW when he was right, you know, I guess towards the tail end of his career, but they all said he was one of the best workers among them, and he just didn't, unfortunately, get over. And uh, yep, obviously Road Dog. I think they'll definitely have a video package on so. Look some stuff up, guys, and you'll find some information about that. Yeah, and if anyone is able to find, apparently he had a title match against Jack, Jack Briscoe. Uh, if there's footage of that anywhere, or if anyone can find that on Daily Motion, please send that to, to Dane and I. Yeah, sure we'd no both shit. love to see this NWA World Heavyweight Championship match. So while he was never a, necessarily a top guy, I mean, he wrestled for the damn title. 
uh, yep. multiple times. So I would love to see this specifically. It says October 9th, 1974 in Miami Beach. He uh, unsuccessfully challenged Jack Briscoe. So I fucking want to see that match. If anyone can find footage of that, hit me on Twitter at Chris R. Patton for sure. No kidding. Well, let's do what we normally do and give a 10 second salute uh, in the passing of Bullet Bob Armstrong. All right. Okay, well, let's move on to our reviews. Chris, let's talk about SummerSlam. So, um, I actually liked uh, a, a good bit of SummerSlam. I thought some of the matches were pretty good. Um, so I'm not going to complain too much about it. Uh, I think that if you know me and uh, Chris's taste, and we don't have the exact same taste, You'll probably already guess some of the things that we did not like about it. But if we go to the pre-show, which starts off the event, and I, and I was actually shocked this was on the pre-show just because of it being one of the top storylines and all. But obviously that was building towards Lashley going against uh, Cruz for the title uh, this weekend. So at payback, the pay-per-view after the pay-per-view. Uh, anyways, but um, Apollo Cruz went against MVP. No. One of either of their best matches. They didn't really have a hell of a lot of time. But, I mean, it's a match between MVP and Apollo Crews, so it can't be that damn bad. And Apollo Crews ended up winning. Um, remember, you know, he didn't have any of his guys. So, basically, right at the end of the match, MVP slams Crews' face first into the announce table and brings it back in. MVP gets hung up in the corner, and Crews drops him. Crews goes to top, but MVP crotches him. MVP uh, climbs up with a superplex for a two count. Cruz comes back and clotheslines MVP on the floor, then runs the ropes and leaps out, taking him back down. The referee counts now. They both make it back at a nine count. Cruz un, uh, unloads in the corner and hits a splash. Cruz drops MVP again and hits the standing moonsault for a close two count. They tangle and Cruz blocks the playmaker. Cruz comes right back. And hits a sit-down powerbomb for the pin to win. Winner, Mr. Apollo Crews. And after the match, Crews stands tall as his music hits. MVP and Lashley rush the ring. But Crews avoids a beatdown and retreats to the ramp with the title. So, yeah. It was... I was kind of confused, Chris. This this is a a go-around-your-ass-to-get-to-your-elbow sort of situation of why they just haven't been having Crews go against Bobby Lashley for the title when MVP, and even though he's still pretty damn good in the ring, is kind of like the manager aspect of this. They're now doing that. It took, I guess, them having a arm wrestling match, but I'm not going to get into it. We're not talking about that show. How'd you like this match? And did you pick, I don't remember what the hell I picked of who to win on this. I think I picked MVP. What did you pick? I picked MVP as well just because I thought he was going to get help from Shelton Benjamin and Bobby Lashley, but I guess they were banned from ringside? Yep. Okay, so I just missed the part where they were banned from ringside. So this is an easy way to get the title back on uh, on Apollo Crews, and it sets up for him versus Bobby Lashley, which is going to be a better match. I will say towards the end of the match, MVP looked blown up, especially uh, when he went for his finisher and he got caught in that spinning powerbomb. He... Apollo Crews had to deadlift this guy. 
um, he, he he went up kind of heavy, as they would say. Uh, but outside of that, uh, it was a decent match. I mean, it's a kickoff match. And they had to get a lot of shit in in like five minutes. That's kind of the best way to put it. I think that MVP and Apollo Crews could have had a much better match if they spaced it out to maybe like 10 or 15 minutes. But for what it was, I mean, there was nothing terrible here. The Like I said, the only thing that really was glaring is that MVP seemed like he was a little blown up towards the end. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so uh, we get to our first match. We have the SmackDown women's title match, Asuka going against Bayley. We go right to the ring where Michael Cole welcomes us. He joins uh, by Corey Graves. Oscar makes her way out. Out next is the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions and SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey, accompanied with the Raw Champion Sasha Banks. They pose together. As the power goes off, Bailey hits the ring and Banks waits at the ringside. I don't know why I gave you guys that intro, but this was a pretty good match. I preferred... From what I remember, no, I'm 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 almost positive. I they had a better match I think on Raw the two of them, and I mean these are three ladies that do damn good in ring work most of the time, but I think that their other stuff uh, was a bit better, and I think that Sasha had a better match with Oscar, um, and it might be because of that move where she did the sunset flip powerbomb, like you know uh, what's his name, um, oh God. Takahashi style, Hiromu, uh, which is nuts. And I love that Kushida, by the way, Chris, put up. Like, I know how that feels uh, in reference to that when he played that little video. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, was pretty great. funny. But um, th- these ladies, they, they still beat the shit out of each other. And Asuka, especially playing double duty, going in two intensive matches, it, it just shows a lot of her as a wrestler. Um. But they fight on the apron. Bailey ends up diving Asuka knee first into the apron. Asuka falls to the floor and Banks taunts her. Bailey brings it back in the ring and chop blocks the knee for a two count. Bailey with the leg submission now. Asuka looks to make comeback, but Bailey elbows her. Asuka uh, charges and hits a co-breaker for a close two count in the middle of the ring. Asuka climbs up and has to fight Bailey off. Asuka flies, but Bailey catches her in midair taking her down into a knee bar. Asuka gets free. Bailey charges and hits a sunset bomb into a turnbuckle. Bailey goes to the top for the flying elbow, but Asuka catches her with an arm bar on the way down. Asuka stops the hold and to kick a screaming Banks back into the barrier of the apron. Asuka and Bailey brawl onto the floor. Uh, Asuka brings it back in and has to kick Banks away again. Bailey rolls Asuka for two. Asuka kicks her in the gut. Banks gets on the apron, but Asuka charges and knocks her off. When Bailey moves out of the way, Bailey takes advantage and rolls up Asuka to the win. Uh, winner Bailey, after the bell, the music hit, but Banks immediately rushes the ring and uploads on Asuka while she's down. They double team Asuka and drive her into the mat. Bailey exists or exits the ring with the title and kicks at or kicks at all the uh, virtual fans at ringside. So we go to replays. Furious Oscar recovers in the ring as the golden role models taunt her from the ramp. So, yeah, man. Um, you know, I think I had a bunch of extra shit that they obviously didn't go in that direction. When we were making predictions, we didn't realize that 
Sonya Deville was going to change the match so she could take some time off um, in order to for first further court cases with this that she's going to have to go to and also to take a break from wrestling, um, which is completely understandable. So my whole concept of the fucking Otis and all that shit was incorrect, but I will say that I did kind of see this whole entire thing coming. So she ended up... Uh, or Bailey ended up getting that title back. I think I reversed it actually. Um, but either way, what did you think about this match? Uh, it was fine. I think Oscar and, and Sasha had a better match later on in the night. Uh, this, the only problem I have with this is it's just the continuation of the feud between Bailey and Sasha, whether they want to say it or not. It's the slowest burn of all time and, and has been for years and years. But I think the idea is that Sasha helped. Bailey retain the title and Banks kind of gets screwed over later in the match that we'll talk about. Um, and I know it's supposed to be that Oscar was able to overcome the odds to some extent, but that's not really what it seems like. And the fact that we've had the tease between Bailey and Sasha being in a feud forever, it just doesn't play out the way that I think, I think they think uh, it should while they're doing these bookings. Yeah. No, I can agree with that. Uh, so we see uh, Dom- Dominic Mysterio backstage with his mother and Ray. They cut a promo. From there, uh, Tom Phillips, Samojo, and Byron Saxton invite Kevin Owens. He wasn't doing anything, so he might as well, you know, luckily put him in some commentary. Uh, with this match with Andrade and Angel going against the Street Profits for the title. The Raw Tag Team titles, I should say. And this is a pretty good match, man. Montez Ford, once again, how, how he gets as much air as he does. And that reverse, now he's doing like the, the reverse, uh, or I don't know what the fuck to call it. Uh, the frog splash, but he goes the opposite way. There you go. That stuff is uh, pretty impressive. But uh, at the end, Garza tags in and drop kicks Ford off the apron to the floor. Garza brings it back for a two count. Garza grounds Ford now. Garza takes out Ford in the corner again and rips his pants off as Vega applauds and laughs. And at this point, it was pretty funny because I think that Byron Saxton was like, oh, yeah. And then, like, Tom Phillips said something on the lines of, like, yeah, great stuff. And all of a sudden, Kevin Owens goes, wait, what? Like, you know, just completely called him out. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, I love fucking Kevin Owens. Uh, but anyways, uh, Andrade ends up. In an armbar on the ropes as Ford yells out. Andrade grounds Ford in the middle of the ring, working on his hurt arm now. Garza comes back in. More um, corner offense for a two-count while uh, talking trash in the camera. Garza turns Ford upside down in the corner and runs in with the knee. Andrade tags back in with a stomp while Ford is upside down. Ford kicks out at two. More back and forth for a few minutes. The finish sees the Profits hit the double team on Garza who tried to get a tag but couldn't as Andrade was checking on Selena Vega, who got knocked off the apron. So, you know, Garza and and, and Andrade just not on the same terms, man. Winners, Street Profits. After the match, Profits celebrate as the music hits. Uh, There's some tension between the heels. Owens leaves the announce table and says Aleister Black is invited to appear on the KO show on Raw. And uh, we'll get to that on the next episode that we do. But... 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, what did you think of this tag, tag match? It was there. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we seen these cats face off at this point? There's not really much more to say. Uh, 600. I, the the highlight of the match was definitely like Tom Phillips being like, there goes the pants, and Brian Saxton, Saxton being like, oh, thank goodness. And then, as you said, Kevin Owens being, what what did he say? Uh, What? <laughs> what? Like, what? What? What are you guys on about? Um, that was to me the highlight of the match. I mean, it was fine. It's athletic. It's just we keep we continue to only see two to three tag teams rotate in and out, or different versions of the that's same be- singles matches. That's because there is only like three tag teams in fucking Raw. <laughs> yeah, but I yell oh. about that enough, so. <laughs> Uh, it was fine. The aftermath was the aftermath. And then Kevin Owens calling out Alistair Black. Didn't Alistair Black help Kevin Owens last time Kevin Owens and him had any kind of interaction? So I don't understand. I mean, I guess because Alistair's turning heel. Yeah. Or some He's got to start a fight with someone. So him and Kevin Owens will have great matches. And unfortunately, you know what's going to happen. Uh, just a heads up for all you Kevin Owens fans out there. He signed a five-year deal, so he's there until April 2023. So, yeah, um, I love Alistair, but I don't like about the expense of Kevin. And that looks unless they have a series of matches and they draw this out, but they don't know how to fucking do that. I think the last time they did that was what Christian and Randy Orton back in like 2012. Like, why not I mean, have a feud? I mean, the feud is just going to be Alistair Black screwing over Kevin Owens for a couple weeks and then finally Kevin will get his win back or whatever, but it won't matter. Yep. At that point, I mean, that's that's the problem is, uh, you know, I, I thought Kevin had good steam coming from SmackDown. And then obviously COVID and then he got injured and now we're just in the weird place where they always seem to find themselves with Kevin Owens or even Samoa Joe to some extent where they're a little bit of an afterthought <sighs> thought. Uh, which well, makes the, absolutely no sense. Well, I, I hate to say this, but there is a draft coming up in October, so. Who knows what will happen based on that. Do you know who really needs some baby faces right now? NXT. Yep. Completely agree with you. All right, so we have the next match, the No DQ Loser Leaves WWE match with Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. I unfortunately just don't remember this match pretty much at all. Um, I knew it was going to happen, and I think that things changed from the original aspect. Even if there was going to be a shaved head, I'm pretty sure that would have been Sonya in that, you know, in between the two of them. Could be wrong, though. Maybe Mandy can rock a shaved head. I think that Sonya could do that better. But since she was now exiting, they did, went with this um, this change-up. And look, I think that Sonya did a great job with her promo, uh, even the backstage stuff with her slapping Dana Brooke in the face, and really putting on a performance when she just dealt with what she dealt with. So I know it was a back-and-forth match. These ladies beat the crap out of each other. It was a lot of sloppiness. It probably was a little bit on more on Mandy's part, but you know, I mean, it was also a brawl, like a. It, so it was, it was supposed to be like that in a way. So yeah, Sonya lost and Mandy won. And after the match, the music hits as Rose celebrates. Deville must leave WWE. Deville rolls up to the floor and is shocked. Deville throws a bit of a fit at the announce table. Otis runs down. Uh, with his Money in the Bank briefcase to celebrate in the ring with Rose. Rose tries to do the Caterpillar as Otis looks on, and that was probably the best part of the night. Just absolutely beautiful. 
Uh, what do you think about this, Chris? Oh, man. Mandy Rose trying to do the Caterpillar was awful. <laughs> Otis that's, was... That's like, a, that's like Rebel trying to do a backflip. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> this match was... This match was serviceable. I mean, I think it it I don't want to say it exceeded expectations, but it didn't really let me down for what I thought the match was going to be going into it. Um, and which I didn't even know it was going to be a loser leaves town match because I had to catch up on SmackDown right before SummerSlam. So we did our predictions. We still thought it was hair versus hair or whatever they were doing. Um, yeah, no, it was OK. Otis was a highlight. And uh, Mandy Rose is uh, the world's worst at doing a Caterpillar. She can never do it again. Or, she can do the, or the worm. Let's call it by its Christian name. Somewhere Scotty Too Hotties like heated. <laughs> He's mad about it. Oh Lord. Um, yeah, so we had our next match, and we we're talking about this. Dominic Mysterio versus Seth Rollins. This is Dominic's uh debut. This was an intense fucking match. These guys beat the living hell out of each other. You know, I think that they did make stuff a bit easier on Dominic going in this route with the no DQ aspect. We can use weapons now. We can use we can use uh, props, basically, and the ones that hurt the fuck out of you, but props nonetheless to kind of cater towards his weaknesses. And still, he was able to show good agility. There was a bunch of he had jumping spots, and the ending was really meaningful when they fucking. This was honestly. I will say this, the best performance of this version of Seth in a match, of being ruthless and being a piece of shit, the other ones were hokey as fuck, when, even when he took out Ray's eye, obviously, because it was a tennis ball, or a ping pong ball, I mean, um, whatever the fuck it was. But this time, Seth was pretty damn ruthless, and the fact that he went after you know, Dominic's mother when she was appeared scared on the ramp of what was happening to her son... And seeing Dominic, like, you know, be able to take uh, him out, that was a really good spot. I thought that, you know, when they when they basically had Ray look on and Seth was just talking to him, just talking shit about, like, I want you to watch your son, you know, as he goes unconscious and then give him the, the, the stomp. It made Dominic look good. I wasn't expecting him to be fucking polished because that's not where he is right now within his career. But I think he shows great potential. And I thought that Seth was, like I said, I, th- you know, he's he's been really, really fucking annoying and just boring. I thought he actually brought some viciousness tonight. It kind of reminded me of the old Seth Rollins that was a heel a couple years back. To, and just relentless, like I said, going for the mom, making fucking Ray watch, you know, his son do that as he's uh as he's tied up to the thing. Thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't think this match was amazing by any means, but I, I liked it. What do you think, Chris? I thought the match itself was pretty good. I like a lot of the shades of what you were saying about Seth Rollins and, and some of the intensity he showed. I liked Buddy Murphy's involvement um, to some extent. Uh, what I will say is, would it have been the worst thing in the entire world for Dominic just to get a win here? Did, did Seth really need more heat, and do we need to continue this feud out so that we're going to get tag matches with Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy versus Mysterio and Mysterio. No, you're absolutely right. We don't. So, I mean, would it, would it have been too bad? Like, would it have been that bad of an idea for Dominic just to have the orange Cassidy moment? And then you do a blow off match or something. 
Uh, like because Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho is a good example. Jericho wins clean, he torments the hell out of him, and then Orange Cassidy wins, and now they're going to have the big blow off match. Somehow, I feel like WWE is trying to make the storyline longer than it really needs to be. I mean, this is you just watched your dad get his eye put out. Um, Ray's been kind of beaten down by this crew for what seems like months now. It would be the time if you're going to put Dominic over for him to have overcame all of the odds and get the win here. And instead they went the opposite route. So we're going to get at least another, I mean, at least one more pay-per-view of this, I'm assuming. Um, but if not, maybe even a full month. I mean, for, for all I know, they're going to do a tag match at payback to continue the story. And then at the next pay-per-view, maybe we get a resolution of Dominic finally getting his win. But it's, you know, at this point, it's it's really hard. It's going to be really hard for the fans to care if Rey Mysterio and Dominic are always just getting their ass kicked by the heels. And That's, and that's very true. It was the same thing where if, like, Orange Cassidy lost against Chris Jericho that second match, that, that would have been it. That would have been, that's, it's done, right? This is not how you build a new star. Having him getting getting me, meaning from win here, even with his dad hun, handcuffed and all the shit he went through, it could have made a bigger star than he is. Now you're just relying on the fact that people love Rey Mysterio and Rey Mysterio is cutting good promos. Seth Rollins doesn't need any more fucking heat. They're trying to Baron Corbin him right now, and uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think that he's playing the role that they're asking him to play very well. But uh, this this would have if I was doing the booking, I would have pulled the trigger on Dominic just getting a win here in this this match, and then you could have set up like a singles match down the line um, if you want Seth to get his win back or something. But it, at this point, it's not going to hurt Seth Rollins anyways. So who gives a shit? I mean, he did just get his head fucking kicked off by by the champ or the ex champ, I should say, Drew McIntyre, not that long ago, and it, it didn't seem to have any effect on his character. Oh, the current champ. Drew McIntyre. Current, okay. Current champ. Yeah. But, but, um, you, get, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. What the hell was I going to say? Um, I completely agree with you. If I were to have done that, now that you're saying that, if you're going to continue the feud, you might as well add layers to it. And with this one, you could have had the exact same situation. Ray is hung up. Somehow Dominic, and I'm not saying do a roll-up, and I'm basically kind of saying do a roll-up. Like, where he gets that fucking win out of nowhere, and you see Seth's face of, like, how the fuck did that happen? And then, have him go ape shit, Have him fucking fuck up the kid, just like you did at the end of the match, right in front of Ray's face, just to put that extra tension, and then build up to a second match between the two of them. Where Seth maybe dominates and wins, and then you can have the blow-off rubber match, and then put over Dominic, probably. And then you help him out, become a star, and you can now separate that. Because the only reason I think they're keeping him together is because they don't have anywhere for either of them to go. Because they're kind of limited, I guess. I don't know. It's fucking WWE. I mean, my only guess is they're going to have them win a tag match, completely forget about the fucking feud, and just have Rey Mysterio and Dominic be a tag team. Because they need tag teams. And if that's where this is fucking heading then they fucking wasted three months of my time. I have to agree with you. All right. Let's move on to the Raw women's title match. Uh, you know, we have the SmackDown one with Bailey. Now this one is with Sasha. 
And there was no Shayna Baszler coming out or anything like that that I originally suggested. I think that was the past one. Oh, yeah, that would have been the Bailey one. I don't remember. I can't. I can't. I was bad at math when I was younger. And I'm not even doing math. I'm just being honest with you guys. Um, but, yeah, we had this match with Asuka and Sasha. I think the most memorable thing, like I said, was that – and, dude, Asuka, after fucking – even if they padded that area and made it a little bit more cushioned, I mean, how fucking cushioned can you get to, you know, it not hurting to get slammed like that with a sunset – well, she didn't do a sunset flip powerbomb, but she did something where she basically moved around her and then slam powerbombed her onto the fucking floor – and, you know, I saw Hiromu do it to every person in a match in a four-way with Will Ospreay, uh, Kushida, and also Marty Skrull. And all of them looked so violent. And this one obviously wasn't that full-speed one because he literally did a springboard, you know, sunset flip one. But it was pretty nasty. Uh, these ladies, some of the parts where it looked vicious, it was a little bit, What's what's the word? I mean, it was it was a little bit off, if you will, but it looked like a real fucking fight. And that's one thing that I will say about both Sasha and Asuka that they bring is that type of intensity. Like Asuka will be ruthless as a heel. She'll kick you in the back of the she'll kick you in the head with her fucking foot just in the spirit of the moment. And I really liked uh, the ending, which had Banks work on Asuka over in the corner. Asuka counters a move out of the corner and drives Banks face first into the mat. Asuka goes right into a leg submission as Banks yells out. They uh, uh, tangle in the corner now, and Asuka hits a big DDT from up top. Banks rolls to the floor and avoids a pin as Bailey checks on her as the referee counts. Asuka follows and and launches her into the barrier, then sends her into the LED board of the ring. Asuka brings it back in and goes to the top. Asuka shakes off the knee pain. And hits a missile drop kick for a two count. Awesome missile drop kick. Um, Banks counters uh, a big shot and delivers a knees to the face. Uh, and Oscar kicks out. Banks ends up missing a frog splash. Bailey talks Banks up, but Oscar goes on and gets the Oscar block. They tangle some more, and Oscar gets dropped into a pin for two. Banks goes right into uh, the bank statement. They tangle some more on the mat with counter submissions. Bailey gets on the apron, but Asuka misses the hip attack on both of them. The chaos leads to Asuka getting the Asuka lock on Banks. Banks goes to the ropes, but Asuka pulls her back, and then she taps out. Your winner. And Raw champion Asuka, after the match, Asuka takes the title and celebrates as her music hits. Banks sit up. And looks confused and angry. Bailey comes in to apologize, but Banks stares over at her. Then back at Asuka, Asuka makes her exit with her title. Well, it's now Asuka's title. Sorry, Sasha. But uh, yeah, man, this was actually uh, pretty well done. I, I you know, I did kind of call a lot of this type of inner working of shit like that that Bailey was going to fuck up. But at the same time, well, we're, we're considering a fuck up. You know, the first time, basically, Sasha was in the way and Bailey got out of the way, so Asuka hit her, and then she was able to counter that, obviously, and roll her up for the win. With this one, I mean, we're really supposed to get mad at Bailey because she moved out of the way? I mean, I guess I guess it works because it would have been the same situation, but, you know, this is, uh, I guess, making that tension between the two of them 
come full face first into us after nine years of trying this. But at the same time, I like the match and I like I like Oscar with the title. So uh, I'm hoping that her and Shayna Baszler will be tearing it up sometime soon on Raw. What did you think about this match, Chris? I thought it was easily the match of the night. Thought it was pretty good. I mean, even though they gave us a very similar finish to the first one, and we kind of knew what the build was going to be, which is Sasha and Bailey seething at each other, I thought it was very, very good. I, I like the end of the match where Oscar hit the Oscar uh, lock, and then Banks reversed it, and then she reversed it back in or back out, and then Bailey just kind of got in the way and caught a spinning back fist, and then Sasha got caught with that Oscar lock again, and uh, I thought that was a pretty Good finish if you're going to continue this Sasha Bailey thing, which no one, to me, no one cares about at this point. But to me, this was the best match on the show. Um, not taking away anything from Seth and Dominic or the match we're about to talk about. This one just, uh, as a whole, considering it was 12 minutes long, I thought was the most concisive match. And uh, it, 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 the announcers did a good job at the very end claiming that Bailey wasn't willing to help Banks win. Um, which cost Banks the title. Which at the same time, you know, you're the champion, so you could just easily fucking just get yourself DQ'd if you don't want to drop the title. So that storyline's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, okay. But, you know, you have the champion's advantage to some extent. In both of these matches, they both could have just not... We've seen the Usos do it and other heels do it in the past. They could have went that route or whatever. But they're going this route. So the feud at the end of the day is Sasha versus Bailey with Sasha as a baby face, I'm assuming. Um, That's what I was going to ask you. If they go down that route, you know, I, I think that they did this on purpose, obviously. They, they put that new documentary about their match at TakeOver, which is a fucking amazing match if you haven't checked it out uh, between the two of them. And... Honestly, if you check out their follow-up match, they have an Iron Woman's match. Not as good as the first one, but both of them are pretty damn good uh, in-ring wrestling matches. They have spent so long trying to get us to these matches and have fucked up every goddamn which way. First of all, how about having Sasha as a babyface to begin with? I mean, I get a good rival to Charlotte, but what I'm trying to say is, like, Sasha's a really good fucking heel, and... Bailey's a really good babyface. Are they really going to fucking keep Bailey as the heel and put Sasha babyface? It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, but I think if the matches are good enough, people will just get back behind Sasha like they were before she left for those two or three months, right? Cuz people were still behind her even when she was playing a heel character. Um yeah. And I think that Bailey almost has Baron Corbin kind of heat at this point. And I don't know that you ever get yep. her back to a top baby face. So it probably makes sense to switch it that way. But like I said, I did think this was probably the best match on the entire show. Agreed. Um I do have to say though that I don't know why these ladies think this is like a new thing that happened. Like I can't believe you did this. The they have been secretly screwing each other over on camera. From, you know, if we go kayfabe, Chris, is no one telling him, like, hey, Sasha was making some fucking happy faces after you lost that match because it benefited her. Like, you know, like, this this is really unreal to, to, to you that one decided not to get hurt in order for you to lose your title. Oopsie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess the whole pace of this feud is just not good. Like, we've known that for a while, though. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, from, from what time period? From when we first started this podcast? 
<laughs> until now. It's been that long. Uh, yeah, it's it's at least pull the trigger on it or split them. Put them Dude, on different it's, brands. It's so weird because and I didn't like Bailey for the longest time, and you were like, well, you didn't see her in NXT. You know, she you you should give her a chance, but. And I understand why the main audience, besides kids, it just didn't work out for, and why she's really embracing being a heel because she got so much shit for that. But Sasha, when I first started watching wrestling again, her and Charlotte were killing it on the main product. They were becoming some of the best matches to watch, and then they just put her in abysmal state. And she always loses the title, and this is another time where she lost it the first fucking defense. Like, is that a long-running rib or something? I, I mean, I think in this situation it's to turn her baby face because we don't know when Charlotte is coming back. And they need to have someone pick up that title. And then hopefully in October they will split her and Bailey. And, and in theory, Charlotte should be back by now or be back by then. And maybe they move up Io Shirai or something. But the women's division, as we've talked about, um, Kind of on both both brands are screaming for some talent, whereas in NXT it's it's a little overloaded. So, I, yeah, I mean you could say it's a rib, but it could be, I mean, but is it if you have two titles? Like she just held the title for well, like both titles for three months, right? She has the tag title and the women's champion title. They're obviously pushing well, her I'm hard. Just, I'm just talking about how Sasha, like literally every single time, the first title defense that she gets, she loses that title immediately afterwards. Charlotte did the night afterwards. If you remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, it further, it just further proves the point that Charlotte is the best out of the four horse women, whether people want to hear yep. that or not, because I think she's imperative to everyone else's career and whether they're going to have a good feud or not. So when she's not there, you get this kind of stuff or you get, you know, Bailey versus fucking Lana or not Lana, but, um, Lacey Evans and Baron Corbin kind of shit. So for people out there that hate Charlotte, there's a reason why they force her into these feuds. It's because she's fucking good. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a reason why she was on all three brands not too long ago. Not saying, but Bailey and Sasha were too. I'll, I, I will say that. But yeah, I mean Charlotte by herself, she is. I mean everything her dad was, but now <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. without a lot of the issues. Um, let's go over to this uh, championship match, Chris. Uh, you know, I think this was probably, if I were to have a second match of the night, this would probably be it. I don't know. I, I did actually like, I, I forgot to ask you, because I did like the Dominic and Seth match. Who was the better first impression? Pat McAfee or Dominic Mysterio? Pat. I think if Dominic won, then we could have a different conversation about it. But Pat... I think impressed everyone with what that match was. And I mean, some of that's Adam Cole, but what that match was in the promo going into that match where, you know, Dominic cut a pretty good promo, but it wasn't even on the fucking same stratosphere as what Pat cut going into that match at TakeOver. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you, which is crazy, but I never thought I would say that or admit that a couple weeks ago. Yes, I, I mean same thing, and I and I don't necessarily think that was the best thing to do with Adam Cole. Obviously, Adam Cole got the win, and now he's in this Iron Man match. But that wasn't the plan for Adam Cole coming out of no. it. Just, just carrying Cross got hurt, so now it looks like the booking was fine the entire time. But I think they had absolutely no idea what the fuck they were going to do with Adam Cole, and then carrying Cross getting hurt, 
they, to me, it seems like Undisputed Era is probably going to break up and Adam Cole is going to be a babyface because they need a fucking babyface. So crazy. Yeah, which is baffling. And and sometimes it just falls that way where things will work out. But, uh, you know, the, the things that I didn't like about the Pat McAfee feud and the fact that it didn't really help ratings, if you really look at it, I still stand by. Like, I'm not against that. But I do think that guy came in was trained well when he worked with Rip Rogers. Apparently he knew what the fuck he was doing. He had a, a good match kind of out of nowhere. And at the end of the day, we got to see the wrestler beat the football player. And he was the heel. Whereas like in this situation with Seth Rollins, we've seen Dominic and Rey Mysterio get demolished week after week. And then they yep. fucking just got demolished again. So yep. <laughs> if you had to look at it, I if agree. you're looking at it that way, it's, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the match with with Seth and Dominic was probably a better match. Um, I don't even know if that's true, because even though it wasn't as flashy, that Pat McAfee Adam Cole match was a good match. That, I mean, that's the debate, right? And and once yep. again, Adam Cole he came out and he cut the promo. He's like, now that I put this fucking guy behind me, I'm gonna go win the title on Mr. Iron Man on NXT. So, at the same time, you're like, well. Now the booking looks okay, like I said, but that wasn't that wasn't the plan. I mean, he wasn't coming out and getting a title shot against Karrion Cross the next week. I don't, I don't think that's where they were going. It, it just happenstance that Karrion got hurt. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Definitely do. And, you know, Rip Rogers, who knew that he could train someone into becoming a sufficient wrestler? He only trained you know, <laughs> partially John Cena, Randy Orton, Dave Bautista. Uh, a couple other people over at OVW, but, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, let's go to the title match. WWE title match, Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre. The ending is this thing that sticks out to me the most, but I will say that this is much more of an old-school wrestling match, and it is methodical. That's been described by both of their styles, but I think they still were really fucking hitting it, and once it picked up, I think it never slowed down again. Uh, in my opinion, but uh, towards the end, Orton slams Drew again and starts stomping like he usually does. Drew looks to turn it uh, around, but Orton gets his boot up in the corner. Drew blocks the big boot and delivers a knee breaker in the corner. Drew gets his knee uh, kicked out. More back and forth. Drew applies a figure four uh, submission in the middle of the ring. Drew rolls over and over to increase the pressure, but Orton hangs on. Orton gets the referee's attention uh, interrupted and can deliver a cheap shot where he thumbs McIntyre into the eye to break the hold. Drew drops Orton with a big chop to the chest. Drew's eye is in pretty bad shape. They fight from their knees to their feet, trading big shots. Drew uploads on his feet. Drew blocks the RKO and delivers a few clotheslines. Drew with an overhead belly-to-belly and another big throw to launch Orton across the ring. Drew with more offense uh, to kip up, and then Drew takes Orton to the top, chops him. Drew climbs for a superplex. Orton crotches him and delivers headbutts, turning Drew upside in the tree of woe. I just realized that I went way too far up in describing this, but I'm already committed, er, Chris. Drew pulls himself back up and tosses Orton to the mat. Orton kicks out at two. Drew tangles some, but finally hits the Future Shock DDT. Orton uh, still gets out at two. Orton has blood on his forehead now. That happened early in the match and actually kind of cut open. I don't know if he kind of, like, messed around with it to make it bleed more because wrestlers do that, but 
They were both bleeding at some point. There was a nasty headbutt that happened that did not look pretty fucking good. Anyways, Drew scoops Orton into his shoulders, uh, but he fights uh, free. Drew drops Orton from the apron with a right hand. Drew goes to the top, but misses on the way down. Orton with a power slam for a two count. Orton hobbles over the draping DDT, but it's blocked. Drew with a big Glasgow kiss headbutt. That's when it was. Drew makes him tumble on the floor. They come back for seven count, and Orton hits the second rope uh, draping DDT. Orton readies for the RKO. Now, Orton gets up instead and stands over Drew. Orton backs up and readies for the punt kick. Orton goes for the punt kick, but Drew turns that into a huge powerbomb. Drew is fired up now and goes in the corner and waits for Orton to get back up. Drew misses a claybore as Orton ducks. Drew dodges the RKO, but comes right back and ends up ducking another RKO, then backsliding Orton for the win by a backslide, a fucking evil backslide, Chris. After the match, Orton and McIntyre are both stunned. Orton goes right to the floor and sits against the barrier, stunned by his loss. Drew recovers and takes the WWE title. He says this isn't the uh, his title or Orton's title. This is everyone's. Drew stands tall with the title as his music hits. He has a few more words for Orton before going to the corner and posing. Orton looks on from the floor. Drew stands tall in the ring once again, yelling out another message to Orton. Drew kisses the belt to end the segment. So, yeah, I thought this was a good match, uh, just a good wrestler's wrestling match, if you will. Um, that, that Glasgow kiss, I think what happened is normally he nails someone in the chest with it, but Randy was just perfectly in place. He fucking just hit him in the head. Um, I went back and rewatched it after Dave Metzler was talking about it. So, uh, I mean, yeah. Good stuff, and uh, yeah, we still have Drew McIntyre as a champion. I don't know if him and Randy are, are done. I feel like backslides always equal to more matches, but now they have Keith Lee there. Don't exactly know what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm looking at everyone. Aleister Black should be feuding with Kevin Owens. If they want to now put Seth Rollins, I guess, against Drew McIntyre, but I think they've already done that. It's like, I don't know what you do now with Drew McIntyre. So that's, that's the question out of this. But um, I think we both thought that Randy Orton was probably going to win. Uh, I think that both me, or at least I called for maybe some interference, either with Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels. That did not happen. They had, like I said, a methodical match that picked up towards the end, Chris. What did you think about the outcome? What did you think about the match? I thought the match itself was pretty good, even though I'm not the biggest fan of either of their styles. As I've talked about in the past, I think Drew McIntyre has gotten a little better. Um, maybe it's just the shorter form matches I, I don't dislike as much, but this one was 20 minutes long. So it was very Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre in a long format match, which is like watching two fucking Triple H's wrestle each other. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the blood I thought was a nice little addition to the match. There was, um, I, I think towards the end of the match that the, there's one spot where dry, like Drew McIntyre goes for a flying clothesline and misses, and then Randy hits that patented power slam that he does, yep. and he snaps it so well. I thought that was really, really good. Um, headed into kind of the finish of the match. I mean, the finish I thought was really, really good, quickly paced, and that's kind of Randy's sweet spot of what Orton's able to do. The surprise part is, why is the babyface getting the win with a backslide? <laughs> 
I have no problem uh, with like someone getting in the win with the backslide, but it also, you know, McIntyre the entire time was talking about he was going to kick this guy's fucking head off, and then he wins with the backslide. And I know he wins by like it's it doesn't come off very babyface to win by hook or crook kind of thing, considering what Wharton was putting him through headed into the match. So while I have no problem with the backslide being the finish, it just seems like you could have flipped it <laughs> and it'd been fine. Um, but now it seems like the idea going forward, and, and you can let me know if you think this is crazy, is that Keith Lee is going to be defending his friend and really putting the ass whipping on Orton for a few weeks yep. up until Orton, you know, gets the best of Keith and he's about to give him the punt and then outside, like out of nowhere, Drew McIntyre claymores the fuck out of him. Dude, Drew McIntyre and Kayfabe must have the thickest fucking skull. Because he took two of those motherfuckers and got right up even better than Shawn Michaels did. Um, took a third <laughs> one to cause internal, br- whatever the fuck they said. Like well, they said, said he, he may have a cracked skull, basically. Cracked skull. Just like, Jesus, fractured skull, I think. And it's like, really? Like, he could die. What the die. hell is his, what's, what's his foot made out of? Metal? Come on, people. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, but, I mean, he did yeah. get kicked three times, so you have to assume that the WWE training staff doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Shout out to CM Punk, who sued them. Uh, and they just kept <laughs> letting this asshole show back up. Oh, God. And this was the one that finally did the, uh, did the damage. But at the same time, it weakens what the punt is, and that's why I don't like it. Because the idea is that's Randy Orton. He has the Viper, but then he has, like, no, I'm going to kill you. And yep, I'm gonna now, you, now you've lessened that, much like, you know, stomp. Seth Rollins' curb stomp. Uh, so now it's like, you know that Drew McIntyre can take three of these motherfuckers. So yeah. to me, the way you book this is you have Keith Lee just whip the absolute dog shit out of Randy Orton until Randy finally gets the better of him and sets him up for one of these punts. Maybe somehow wraps a chair around his head or puts him against a post or something. And it seems like he... The, the, you, Keith, Drew's friend Keith is about to get just murdered, and Drew McIntyre hits him with a claymore out of nowhere, and then that sets that feud up, and you can move Keith Lee forward, and you have in the back pocket that Keith Lee got, you know, a couple wins over Randy Orton. That would be the way I would book it. For all I fucking know, McIntyre will be on payback somehow, <laughs> even though he has a fractured head. <laughs> he'll just wear uh, he'll wear one of those wrestling gimmicks like uh, the dog face gremlin. <laughs> you still oh wear. God, I just, yeah, um, but yeah, I, 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 going back to the match and going to the ending, the backslide, people being like, oh, you lost to a backslide. Um, there's a guy, his name is Ric Flair. Two of his biggest losses were actually both the baby faces, one of them to Kerry Von Erich and one of them to Ricky Steamboat. He lost in a backslide. I think both of them were for the title as well. So it can happen. And actually, to be fucking quite frank with you, the concept of finishers and signatures are a bit ridiculous. I know that we're supposed to get over it. It's a work match. They're there, though. But when you can do something outside the norm, like, say, get an elbow drop or, or do something off the top rope that you would not normally do or get them in a submission like a fucking choke and get them to tap out, I think it actually adds a little bit of mystery instead of it. I mean, they literally did it where it was like Claymore, you know, countered, RKO, countered, uh, you know, clothesline, and then to another RKO, countered, and then he fucking 
put him in the backslide. I thought it was like they didn't even have to use their finishers. I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. I know that a lot of people were bitching about that. I think that is the fast-paced, I'm assuming, more modern fans that need shit to be a lot of stuff happening all at once um, and can't enjoy stuff that's not out of the norm, I guess. I don't know. Do you know what the big difference between, like, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Drew McIntyre is? They look completely different. Yeah, Drew McIntyre's, like, seven foot one, 290 pounds or some shit, doing a backslide on Randy Orton after he said he was going to kick the guy's fucking head off. After being tormented for a few weeks. So, I, while I have no problem with a backslide finish... In this situation, it would have made more sense for it to be like Randy Orton getting the win that way than Drew McIntyre. Especially since you put Drew McIntyre over as an absolute monster. But this isn't the first time that Drew McIntyre's won a match like this, because he essentially beat Bobby Lashley this way as well. In what I consider Bobby Lashley's best match. So, you know, while I'm not necessarily a huge fan of it, it's not like... It's the worst atrocity I've ever seen in wrestling or anything. I just probably would have had Drew hit the Claymore and win. And then if you're going to do Randy punting his head the next night anyways, it wouldn't have mattered. You don't need to keep Randy strong. He's Randy fucking Orton. He's a 13 or 14 time champion or some shit. Well, you said the word atrocity, and that brings me to our next match. The Falls Count Anywhere match for the WWE Universe title. Fiend Bray Wyatt going against Braun Strowman. Just disappointing. Ugh. One thing that really aggravated the hell out of me. Just say no DQ, no holds barred. If you're going to just go up in the fucking gorilla position and that's... that You actually have an arena to go around. That's completely probably emptied out. No one's been around. And you couldn't have gone a little bit into that. Since you have a false count anywhere match, just go up in the fucking gorilla position and then go back down to the ring. So all the excitement <laughs> that could have happened was completely sucked away from it. Um, it. I mean, this match wasn't bad, but here's another thing. You have been you the last episode. You had Nikki Cross talking about Alexa Bliss and how you know she doesn't know what's going on with her and blah blah blah. And you kept on bringing it up, and then the last and. Alexa Bliss is not even on this fucking episode. It has nothing to do with the goddamn match. It was you were you were trying to force the coolness of Braun Strowman channeled from several years ago when you didn't fucking actually do something with him, and you try to channel the fiend and pretend that he was how he was about a year and a half ago or whenever he started this until you guys fucked it up completely. And it's not the same. I don't care. I mean, it's two monsters hitting each other. And then towards the end, I'm just going to read the last paragraph. I'm sorry, guys. Fiend gets up and drives Strowman onto the wood with an Uranagi, then a Sister Abigail. Fiend with another Sister Abigail on the exposed wood. Fiend covers for the pin to win the title. Um, and if you want to know how that got there, at some awkward port part, Braun Strowman goes out, grabs a, a duffel bag, pulls out a knife, and you're like, what the fuck's he going to do with a goddamn box cutter? He goes out and tries the Tommaso Ciampa of the ring, does a terrible job. Only has one little small spot. So one that was supposed to be on the wood when, uh, you know, uh, Fiend turned that around on Strowman and fucked him over and got the win. One of the Sister Abigails wasn't even on the wooden part. So it's like, it's whatever, you know. 
we'll we'll just I'll ask you how this is, and we'll talk about the cool thing about this match that happened afterwards. Um, I hate being down upon either of these guys. I liked them at different points. It just I don't give a fuck, and I'm so happy about what happens following this match. Um, all right, so let me start with uh, let me start with a Corey Graves line. Corey Graves said at the beginning of this match, "Hell was empty because the devils were here." <laughs> it's like, well, Woo! well, there's only one devil. There's not multiple fucking devils. It, has, even outside that of that, had to have been Vince. Had to have been Vince in his air. Tell him, <laughs> tell him, hell is empty because the devils are here. And like it. At first, I thought the New Jersey Devils were there because they're definitely not in the fucking playoffs. Shout out to hockey fans out there. But, um, no, all jokes to fucking side, like, Braun is supposed to be a babyface. Why is he considered the devil in this? And why are both the devils here? Oh, he's not a babyface. He's not a babyface anymore. He, he even fucking gorilla press slammed Alexa. Apparently going in the goddamn swamp turns you into an asshole. Oh, so it's the, it's like the swamp of reincarnation, but opposite. Bro, it, they tried to play this off. They really did, especially with Alexa. After Alexa got the mandible claw from fucking you know the fiend, all of a sudden she was fascinated by him, and they were like trying to position this. It seemed I don't know if you felt this way, like the fiend was the baby face in this situation, and Braun was the heel. What? The fiend murdered him in the middle of a swamp. I don't even know how Braun is still alive. Um, Why did he shave his head? He looks like Gene Snitsky with a longer beard. Yeah, that's a different question for a different day. But Braun, once again, not being the smartest man of all time. And I know they were just trying to tease that he might rip the fiend open with his box cutter. But uh, it's an apron. It's basically like having a fitted sheet on your fucking mattress. Why would he not just pull up the sheet? Oh, God, there was so much stupid in this. Uh, the match itself sucked. None of the, none of the shit looked good. Just, I, it's opposite of two big men slapping meat because Bray Wyatt wrestles, God, he wrestles such a weird style. We saw a lot of Braun running around and hitting random shit, which is just normal. Um, yeah, this was You would think bad. he would remember that ring post. About, well, you know, the other person's going to get out of the way. At least he didn't hit it like Goldberg did. Well, yeah, at least he's not an idiot. I guess he got that. Except for in character, he's a fucking idiot. Um, so, yeah, what... So, the Fiend is a babyface now, and Braun is a heel. But Braun's trying to murder the Fiend, who in turn then murders Braun. And then... Surprise, surprise, a real fucking baby face shows up. <laughs> that's that's what I gathered out of this match. This was shit. Um, and also, the false count anywhere match, when I just watch them fight in a goddamn swamp, don't tell me falls are counting anywhere. <laughs> just call it a no-holds-barred match, like you said. Because the falls definitely only counted within the circumference of that goddamn ring. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... That's not... That's not good enough for me. But what really, you know, is is the big thing that happened. And I don't give a fuck if any fan is mad about this. I am so happy 
that Roman came back. When Roman came back with his wreck every everyone and leaves shirt, it was one of the best things that happened at fucking SummerSlam. And so basically after the match, the Fiend stands tall with the title as his weird music hits. Yeah, man. Fiend is suddenly attacked <laughs> by someone from behind. It's a returning Roman Reigns. Reigns takes Fiend out with a spear. Reigns uploads and then hits a spear on Strowman at ringside. Reigns yells that he made Strowman, and Strowman isn't a monster unless he's here. Reigns grabs a steel chair and uploads on Strowman at ringside over and over with a chair while he's down. Reigns returns to the ring and takes Fiend out with another spear. Reigns picks the title up and talks trash down at the Fiend while he's on the mat. Reigns raises the universe title in the air as SummerSlam goes off air. And there were people on their little computers, the ones, the assholes that weren't fucking dressing like the KKK or doing whatever, uh, the normal fans that are not dick or dickheads. Um, they were mad that Roman was back, and I was so happy. I really was. I really thought, fuck yeah, Roman. So now they're going to be the three way at payback, and I hope the fuck, I hope Reigns wins. I hope he fucking pins Braun Strowman. Then we don't have to worry about the Fiend. He's had two title reigns, so fuck it. You know, and try to do something with him better, and I guess he can. I I don't I don't care if he's exactly the fucking same. I would hope that now he's more of like a, a baby face with an edge, which is what they kind of projected. Maybe you know, taking a little bit from his cousin The Rock, who had that same quality, or Stone Cold, kind of blending that, letting him be apparently what he wants to be as a character instead of holding him down. Or if he's fucking full heel. I'm glad Roman's back. I want him to have the fucking title. And everyone else can kiss my ass. That's how I feel. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Roman Reigns was the best part of this fucking match. And if you want a, uh, uh, you know, a main event caliber match that was a false count anywhere match. And, and I, you know, fans will fucking scoff at this. But you can go back and watch fucking Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin. And it was definitely better than this fucking shit show. So, <laughs> if you... For you fans out there that think that this this fucking Bray Wyatt experience is working, look at the goddamn ratings. It's not. It's not fucking working. Roman's a bigger draw. I guarantee you Roman's return on SmackDown tonight will be bigger than last week's SmackDown. Can almost guarantee it. Be willing to put fucking money on it, actually. Um, this was a huge moment. If you don't like Roman, then you're just not going to like Roman, but he makes a better champion than Bray Wyatt. And if they're moving on from AJ Styles in the IC title picture and you're going to get, you know, AJ versus Roman or Daniel versus Roman or Ooh. Nakamura versus Roman, that's a lot better than fucking Bray Wyatt versus anyone. Except for Daniel Bryan, because Daniel Bryan's just fucking incredible. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> telling you, if you want to do something, if you want to do something cool with the, the remain scraps from this. Turn the fiend and or turn turn Braun. Let Bray take, you know, after he loses to Roman, have the fiend take Braun. You can have fucking if you want, you know, have like what what, what the hell were they called? Like the little minions that the Undertaker had. Just come in, grab his body, take him back, <laughs> turn him into the fiend. He's a monster. He's unstoppable. Completely under control of Bray Wyatt and have Bray cut the promos and still do that type of shit. Cause if not, I'm over this, I'm done. I don't care. He looks really cool, but that's all we get basically. 
Well, he looks really cool, but he plays two different characters, and he doesn't do it as well as Matt Hardy. And when they try to do these scenes, they always end up like shit, and the matches haven't been good. Wise I, words, my friend. Wise words. I, I mean, I think that just fucking sums it up. I mean, I don't know what else to fucking say about this guy. Like, if you want to, like, look at Brody Lee and how he's striving with what he is, with the dumb gimmick he is. And then look at the, the booking of The Fiend and then try to tell me that those two things are fucking, like, even on the same stratosphere as good or bad. Yep. Uh, well, someone that I think could have been on a similar similar stratosphere or will exceed it due to his potential and being that type of mystic concept. Uh, we open up NXT, uh, or the last episode of NXT, uh, with the champion, Karrion Cross coming to the ring with some unfortunate news that a lot of us wrestling fans already knew because we found out. We didn't know the severity of it. Um, Triple H was very optimistic on the call, but this was right directly after it happened. So, I mean, you got you to gotta kind of look at it from there. Of You know, Karrion Cross. it was from a shoulder block. It was a freak thing towards the beginning of the match, separated his shoulder, and continued to, because he continued with the match, to fuck it up more and more throughout the whole entire thing. So he's going to be out for a couple months now. So unfortunately, you know, he came out and uh, said some stuff. Um, you know, it, it, I'm glad that he's still kind of, he's like Aleister Black. He's still got that mystique, so he doesn't have to talk in a babyface way, but it was kind of a babyface promo at the same time. And you could tell Scarlett was upset visually. But they were trying to keep together as their their act, and they did a good job. They didn't they didn't fuck it up. But I mean, it sucks for the guy. You know, there's two people that are going to be involved in the match and know exactly how he fucking feels about losing the title based on injury and having to fork that over um, in the four way that we're going to get to find out the new champion. But basically, long story short, Karrion Cross has to take some time off. Fix his shoulder. When he comes back, I'm sure he's going to come back with a vengeance, and he'll probably be put almost immediately in the championship picture. I mean, I think if anything, it would make sense for him to get that pretty immediately back. But, you know, they had to do what they had to do. And I guess we can just bring up the four-way anyways because it ties into it. Uh, Later on, William Regal would come out and say that him and uh, Matt Bloom – Triple H, Shawn Michaels, they had them all in like a little uh, meeting trying to figure out what they would do. But either way, they d- he decided that the four biggest champions, um, and I know that you might have uh, you know issues for that concept, but like four of the biggest champions, uh, uh, you know, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, four-way hour Iron Man match next week. Crazy concept, but if you have four people that could probably pull it off, you look at them right here. I have an idea, just put it that way, but I want to get your initial reactions, Chris, of Karrion Cross unfortunately having to fork over his title due to separating separating his shoulder, which not only, I mean, in 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 in, in concept, not, which not only sucks because he has to give back up the title, take some time off, heal it up. And then go back into competition to try to get that said title again. But he also, because of that happening, it really reduced the 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 level of awesome that that match could have be 
Um, and it's impressive what he was able to do with a completely separated shoulder because he took some bumps on it several times afterwards throughout the match. So hope he gets well and gets back soon. But uh, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about the four-way <laughs> Iron Man match uh, between Cole, Gargano, Balor, and Champa? So I thought the promo, much like you, was aimed as a very babyface thing. So maybe they're positioning him... And, and I think Brian Alvarez also said this, so I'm not just trying to rip this off, but it would make sense just because they got rid of Keith Lee. They now have no baby faces. Um, the way they positioned him throughout the entire show as being this tough competitor who won this title and fought through this injury, even through the match, and still ended up coming out as the title was a very baby face storyline. So... When you get into the four-way with Gargano, Ciampa, Balor, and, um, fuck, why am I spacing now? Gargano, Ciampa, Balor, and, uh, Cole, Adam Cole, who are all currently heels. I mean, I guess Balor is also a heel. To me, it almost makes sense that you would have Ciampa take the reins as top heel and start to disassemble the undisputed error in some form or shape so that Adam Cole can be your next baby face. Cause I'm not convinced that Adam Cole is ever leaving NXT at this point. Um, but it, it does seem like the comeback is going to be very much like triple H when he tore his quad and came back and won the Royal rumble. And he had, Basically, the only babyface run of his entire career. That's something they can do with Karrion Cross, and I think people get really behind that. But the person that would make the most sense is putting the title on for that feud to be probably the top heel in the business would be Ciampa. And I think that would be the only way it makes sense, is if you put it on the uh, Sicilian Blackheart himself, Tomasa Ciampa, who also came back as a heel. So I think maybe that's the direction they're going, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this and, and what you would do. Well, I think out of the four of them, there's two people I see making a compelling story, especially if they have the belt until Karrion Cross comes back. One of them you said, which was Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso had to give up that title at some point because of injury, and he had no choice about the whole entire matter. So him getting Goldie back especially him as now this ruthless heel like he used to be. It could be very good, especially based on the baby faces that they do kind of have to bounce off of him and build him. And he's had a squash match with Karrion Cross, where Cross destroyed him, much like Brody did to Cody recently. So you put it on him, and you actually have them, you know, you could even have a match where fucking Champ is not fucking around now. He's back to his old ways. And he beats Karrion Cross, and then they can have a rubber match where Karrion Cross beats Tomasa Ciampa for the belt. The other person I could see, not Adam Cole, not Johnny Gargano, Finn Balor. Finn Balor obviously was supposed to do stuff with Walter, and I think he might have been the person to take the UK belt off of Walter. COVID happened. That did not happen. But he also, first universal champion, wins the title, works through an injury you know, and wins the title and then has to give that up 
And if anyone can actually, you know, be babyface out of all of them, the way that he's kind of just been a tough guy these last couple times and not so much healing it up as much. Um, like, because I considered him the babyface with Timothy Thatcher. And I forgot who he went previously before that. Oh, uh, Velveteen Dream. He kind of was like the face. He's cool enough. People, you know, he can still act like he does have that bravado and be a babyface. He's just not like a like how WWE basically portrayed him. And then if you have Karrion Cross versus the Demon, that's a cool concept to be able to go forward once Karrion Cross comes back. And also, if I were to do it this Monday, a certain individual that might have a problem with other guys being called one of the best champions might come out and cut a promo and say, look, I got some shit with Aleister Black. I'm going to get to it. But I talked to William Regal. And that whole entire match that's happening Wednesday, well, Kevin Owens is, is jumping on top of it. And it's going to be a five-way match, Iron Man match. And just add him because he's another guy you could throw in there. And even though it's a ridiculous concept of an Iron Man match, and now you have a five-way, it's five of the best fucking guys to be able to like rely on to make it good. So that's what I would do. Keep it a, Make it as busy and crazy as possible because it's probably going to be like that. But um, yeah, either... Either Champa or Balor, and I could see it being Balor just as they want to turn him fully or more babyface and have a babyface champion. I'm very similar to you, except I wanted it to be Sami Zayn for one of these roles. Maybe not Finn Balor, but Sami Zayn, or maybe not Johnny Gargano, but Sami or Zayn. Samoa Joe. And and the reason I say Sami Zayn is, you know. He won the title and the Kevin Owens immediately killed him and he got injured. So you could have played that into his storyline. And he's one of the biggest baby faces that brand ever had. Uh, so I He ain't leaving he, Canada though, man. He ain't leaving Canada. He's staying right where he is. I can't really blame him based on the way he was booked the past year and a half, but uh, <laughs> I thought maybe this exactly. was the time they could have brought him back in the fold and did something cool, but you know, all of the scenarios you gave, there uh, some of them are similar to mine. Uh, I, I still Champa is the one that stands out the most to me, just because of how they talked about Karrion Cross, almost like they want him to be a babyface to fill in that kind of Aleister Black role um, of this mystique. And I think they really like Scarlett Bedrow and think that she can do both babyface and heel promos because his character can work both ways. Really, she can. Uh, she can. It could be TikTok. You're about to get an ass kicking because you're a shitty person, or it could just be TikTok. You're about to get an ass kicking because I said you're about to get an ass kicking, and that's kind of the character revolves around that a little bit. That that uh, that effort, and he's they've not been out there doing dastardly shit. Like all of his matches, he's won clean. So you can go both ways with that character and Champa, being Champa, doing stuff like attacking her much like he did with Candice LeRae or threatening Scarlet specifically gives you a reason to care about Karrion Cross, And I feel like he's the only one that I would think is a heel and Finn Balor. Like you said, my only worry is the, the demon character and how hard they're going to push that. And if Vince gets his hands involved in it, what does that end up looking oh, like? If it's on NXT, I'm not worried about it. If Vince has it, fuck that. Yeah, but they've they've gotten more writers recently, as we've heard, and that worries yeah. me. We, I mean, we had 
we'll, well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to NXT, but we had uh, we had 35 minutes of wrestling on an NXT show. That's a good point. Well, and yeah, we're we're definitely going to dive into this. But one last question. So we do have uh, the trades, the big trades, uh, the draft coming up October. Three people, male or female, you would definitely like to see be drafted to NXT. Naomi. Um, well, actually, God, why, uh, Bianca Belair. I would like to see her drafted back to NXT. I know that seems like a demotion, but I would like to see her drafted back. I would like to see Sami Zayn. And then one other person drafted to NXT, I guess. Yep, three. If if not Sami oh, Zayn, think... Kevin Owens. If if Sami's not going to come out of whatever he's doing, that I guess Kevin Owens. And then my third choice would probably be, ooh, God. If they do Naomi, maybe the Usos be part of the tag division. I think there's some oh. cool things they could do there. That would be pretty awesome. If it was just just the Usos and Naomi, that would be great. Um, I'm definitely picking Kevin Owens. I'm picking Aleister Black. Take their feud there. <laughs> Let it go until October and take it back to NXT. I'm sick of fucking waiting for them to do something cool with them. And uh, for, the, for the lady, I mean, I think it was the person that, that basically you picked. Um... Originally, which Naomi, I think that's a great choice. It's it's different. She could dominate. Uh, yeah, I think I'll go with Naomi. I mean, I kind of want to say Shayna Baszler, but finally she's becoming appealing to Vince, so I don't want that to fuck up right now because she seems like she might be in the title picture. And Asuka, Sasha, fucking Charlotte, Bailey, they all get treated like gold, so I can't really complain for them. I don't want to see Lacey Evans go back i could care less really so yeah i guess it's naomi naomi kevin owens alistair black oh with 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 a little bit going to shinsuke nakamura just a little bit yeah it would be cool to see king of strong style there here's a better question it is a three-way trade three people are moving from both brands who are you choosing to move from nxt because that's almost a bigger question. You got to pick one female star and and either a, I'm assuming a tag team and one single star, depending on how they do this. Because I feel like a tag team is going to get involved with the shuffle somehow. Mm-hmm. But but what would be if you had to just pick two single stars, uh, two single male stars and a female star from NXT to move up to the main roster, either brand? Who would you pick? Tegan would be my female. Um, what's what's the guy? Uh, oh man, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. But the the large dude that had the fucking awesome Bam Bam Bigelow. Was Bronson Reed? Bronson Reed. See, I, I actually, you know what? I would say Damian Priest because I think that would be a Vince type person, but he has a title on him currently. Try to think of like someone that's been there because I don't see Adam Cole leaving. I don't see Gargano leaving. Ciampa said that he'd rather just drop to a trainer than go on the main roster, basically. Um, which all that's very strange. Make Kushida, although he'll probably get lost in the mix. How about you? 
Cameron Grimes? Cameron fucking Grimes, dude. I don't think that's a bad choice. I feel like there's stuff you could do with him if he gets moved to SmackDown. Um, you know what? I like that. I do like that. I'm trying to think of some other people <laughs> I would pick. Uh, Cameron Grimes... For the female star, I would probably go Rhea Ripley, just because you, I you, feel like... You could give back Finn Balor, I mean, and put him on SmackDown, because he does have some star power. Um, I don't want him to leave NXT anytime soon, but I could see them doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, Rhea Ripley to me, just because they need a star until Charlotte gets yep. back. Hopefully yep. she'll be back before the trade, but Rhea Ripley... And even if Charlotte comes back, you have a built-in feud. Io Shirai is another person. She's it's only a matter of time until she's on the main roster fighting with Oscar. I would assume. So those would th- those are probably my prime candidates. I do like the idea of Damian Priest just dropping the title and going up, especially. Uh, I don't know. All of a sudden he started cutting good promos, Dane. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Even if he's you just work doing with the, I guess if you work with the bad boy enough, you can fucking rub rub on you a little bit. <laughs> He's just doing uh, Andrade's gimmick on this episode, but... <laughs> <laughs> I loved how he jumped in a hot tub. We didn't talk about that takeover. Jumped in a hot tub. Why is a hot tub there right outside the fucking full sale facility? I don't and know. Tr- Jericho did it, so they were like, we should totally do that. That worked for Jericho, <laughs> which is smart. Oh, man, that's funny. Let's talk about this next match, though, because I was pretty happy with the outcome, and it was pretty good. We had a match for the NXT Tag Team titles. Brazango, which neither one of us thought was going to win. We definitely thought it was going to be um, Raul Mendoza and uh, Joaquin Wild. And no, they didn't go with that. Brazango won against Imperium for the titles. And, you know, it was a pretty good match. You know, a lot. The one thing I, I have to think, or I have to say that I wish that they would switch with their way of doing matches with Tyler Breeze and Fandango, I think it would make a lot more sense if Tyler Breeze is taking the blunt of getting his ass kicked and trying to make the hot dag to Fandango. They usually have Fandango be the guy that's like just getting his ass kicked. And uh, But still, it was, it was a good match. Um, towards the end, we get back from a break. Uh, Imperium continues to dominate in and out of the ring. Eichner controls Fandango. Back in the ring now as the crowd rallies. Fandango blocks a suplex and hits a jawbreaker. Barthel tags in Aikner, nails a spinebuster on Fandango, and Barthel follows up with two kicks to the face for a close two count while Breeze is still down on the outside. Barthel uh, can't believe the kick out. There's some miscommunication, and Eichner lands hard after missing a kick. Eichner comes back in and levels Breeze to make up for it, Breeze avoids a double-team European bomb in the corner, nailing two big super kicks to the champs. Fandango goes to the top and hits a double leg drop on both opponents, which looked pretty fucking cool. Fandango covers for the pin and the win. And sadly, this is the thing about this, both of these guys, their first title in WWE, period. Tyler Breeze, who's been in NXT, Prince Pretty, and also then Fandango, fucking nuts. After the match, uh, Breeze and Fandango stand tall with the titles as their music hits. Uh, the new champs celebrate up on the perch uh, as the crowd cheers on. There's then one part where <laughs> they start dancing on the announce tables while um, Vic Joseph 
and um, Stu Bennett, who joined, definitely like Wade Barrett, if you will, King Wade Barrett, Bad News Barrett, whatever you want to fucking call it, uh, who did great announcing, by the way. They were just like laughing because like, you know, he's known both these guys for years and they're just like grinding and stuff like that. And then you have Beth Phoenix go, oh, you know, I've never been more angry or not to be there than tonight. And uh, I just love the Lady <laughs> Lawler stuff. It's obviously not as crude as Lawler, but it's funny um, because she always makes comments like that with them. But I love this, man. I, I, I know it's kind of dumb and, and it's it's pretty small in aspects, but they've never had fucking tag team championships. They've 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 both been in big matches and just uh, I mean, this was uh this this is pretty cool, I would say. What do you think? Yeah, I mean Fandango did hold the IC title. Oh yes, that's right. Maybe maybe they're saying tag titles then. Yeah, I guess, I guess so, because it seems impossible to me that they didn't win the SmackDown titles when they were such a good comedy team there, but then somehow Heath Slater and Zack Ryder held tag titles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's baffling. So, yeah, I guess they're talking about the tag titles. Tyler Breeze is a former, and I know they're not going to say this, even though they definitely put over um, Seth Rollins as a NXT champion, but uh, Tyler Breeze is a former FCW heavyweight champion which they don't ever fucking talk about, but uh, if you're, you know, spades a spade, right? Uh, this match was very good. I like this tag match a lot. I like the finish. It was kind of out of nowhere, and I was definitely surprised by it. I'm assuming the reason they have Fandango do most of the selling is because he's fucking better at it. That has to be the <laughs> that has to be the reason at this point. Um, but Tyler Breeze had a great comeback. I love the super kick comeback, uh, catching two, two dudes with the super kick, and then immediately going for the, the tag back to Fandango. So maybe you can build something up between there where you're like, you rely way too much on me. You're just going to come in and do these couple moves and you can split these guys up. There's so much you could do with Tyler Breeze and uh, Fandango. And I've been saying this for years. Fandango is fucking phenomenal. And there's way more you can do with him specifically. Tyler Breeze, without him going outside of the Prince pretty gimmick, I don't know how much you could do with him. Um, but Fandango specifically, if he could drop the gimmick and get out of this, I think there's a lot you could do with his look and his in-ring ability. But this was a fucking good, good-ass good tag moment. match in a good feel-good moment. And yep. uh, and Beth Phoenix was fucking hilarious when she was like, I'm so jealous I'm not there right now. It, it was it's great. It's not over. It's not like Corey Graves where it's creepy. It was just like, hey, their gimmicks are their male strippers. And like, look, they're cute guys. And it was fine. It was well-placed. Um, so yeah, yep. I, I fucking love the shit out of this, and I guess this means Imperium is going to take a two-week break and then go to the UK for when they kick that show back up. Uh, that's my guess. That's what I'm assuming, and I hate to say this, anyone that likes this title, I think this is just to put them on eventually Raul Mendoza and uh, you know um, Joaquin Wilde in the future is what I'm assuming, but... They've had good matches already, so I I don't mind having two on twos between those guys. I guess Undisputed Era also exists too. Yeah, I mean, I, there are some interesting matches that could come out of this. I would keep it on Brazingo for a while because I think the fans are into They're them, in the and and there's no reason to take the titles off them. You can just have them get their ass whipped a lot. I mean, they're pretty good at that. For sure. Yep. But as long as they come out on top at the end of the day, I think it's a good spot to have your tag titles on until you can develop your next big thing. And, and I don't necessarily know that uh, 
Raul Mendoza, and I'm spacing on his partner's name. Joaquin Wild. Joaquin Wild. DJZ. Or, yeah, DJZ I would have probably known more uh, for whatever reason. But, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it's a bad a bad thing, but it, it is uh, – I don't know that there are people that you want carrying the title if you're trying to build other tag teams, which they're going to need to do now. You know what's crazy, though, Chris? Is that last week you were putting over Fandango over another tag team, and we don't have to talk about them. But now they're the champions, and that tag team still hasn't won the belts over at their place. Crazy. <laughs> You're talking about the Young Bucks? <laughs> oh, uh, yes, shit! I don't want you to. I don't want you to get bad like uh, tweets or anything like that. I hope everybody gives me bad tweets. Like, look, I find Brazengo's matches. Look, I'm all for spots and shit, but uh, in in the recent few weeks, I've really enjoyed watching Fandango and Brazango or Brazango in general's matches a little more than the Young Bucks. There's only so many Young Bucks. Like, I think it was better when I only saw the Young Bucks in spurts. Yeah, you know what? And I was going to bring it up later, but you just reminded me. I used to love the spot where uh, Nick would do that thing where he gets tagged in and he fucking goes, takes one guy, puts him in the corner, gives him the knee up to the face. And then it basically, uh, I'm trying to think of like everything that happens in the sequence, same fucking sequence over again. He gets one on the mat at, with a bulldog and then he jumps, gets over the ropes and does the backflip on the other person outside. I still think he's one of the most agile and, um, you know, amazing acrobatic wrestlers. He's, he's incredible, but he could probably differentiate that a little bit and make it a little bit more original. Didn't mean, I'm not meaning throw shade, but yeah. And, and we're not, I'm not necessarily trying to throw shade, shade either, but when you look at this match as a tag match within the tag rules, uh, this fits more of what I think tag wrestling should be. Now, that being said, I have seen them work matches in new Japan specifically with, the Golden Lovers, probably one of the best tag matches I've seen in a, in a very, 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 very long time, where the Young Bucks are just absolutely phenomenal. And it may just be that I'm a little worn out on seeing the Young Bucks do the spots in either three-way yep. matches or tag matches. So right now, I'm totally fine with uh, Brazingo wearing titles and the Young Bucks not. We'll see if that changes with FTR in the future, near future. Yep, that's a that's a very good point. Well, uh, next we had a match with returning Tommaso Ciampa and Jake Atlas. I mean, Tommaso Ciampa. Here's one thing: if you're gonna have people in your audience like you guys have, and it's it's inevitably what you have to do based on the whole entire COVID thing. I get it, but don't have them boo at Tommaso Ciampa when he returns. I knew right then from there, oh, yeah, he's taking a heel turn. Like, as soon as he enters, and it wasn't piped in sound, it was even the audience, they were all booing at him. And I'm like, the last time he was here, he was a baby face. I'm kind of expecting him to come back as a heel, but I didn't know it, but he did, and he fucking kicked the shit out of a wrestler that I've really liked as of recently, Jake Atlas. He had to pull the job on this one. And, I mean, he did the uh, the Draping DDT uh off the fucking apron and just nailed him uh after he won the match 
they they come over to ringside and they're trying to like get him on a gurney and take him out of there. And Shoppa does it again with him draped off the gurney and just murders the dude. Uh, it was a, a, a good, uh, you know, first impression of this new run for, for Ciampa. I'm glad he's back as a heel. I like this evil, you know, he, he reminds me of a lot of what Eric Young's doing over at Impact, but Ciampa's always kind of had that. The Sicilian psychopath is back. I did like the tweener version. I didn't mind that that much, but this is where he's the best. Just like technically Johnny Gargano is the best as a babyface. That's just the truth in the matter. Chris, what do you think? My notes for this match scrawled with my madman scrawling. Just says a Sicilian psychopath killed a man. So <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Two thumbs up. He's better as a heel, right? He's definitely better as a heel, even though I thought he had a pretty decent babyface run. Uh, I think he I think he does a better job of being able to walk that line way more so than Johnny Gargano's current heel run. That's for sure. Some guys are just made to only be one thing. Like Sting. Like Sting as a heel would just be awful. Terrible. Yep, I agree. All right, so Mackenzie was backstage with Bronson Reed asking about the earlier comments. Between Damian Priest and Timothy Thatcher, basically, I forgot to mention that beforehand, Mackenzie was talking to Damian Priest and Timothy Thatcher, which I like Timothy Thatcher, but he was demanding a title shot, and, you know, Damian kind of, you know, shrugged it off like, ah, eh, fuck off, you know, basically. Well, I, I like Timothy Thatcher, but he lost to Finn Balor and also lost the match that he was having to even be able to get into that North American title match, so... Would not make sense for him, but now it looks like they're setting it up. I think what they're doing is Bronson Reed is going to go against Timothy Thatcher. The winner of that will go against Damian Priest. So Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, something that we've all want to see. And uh, anyway, so Reed believes he should be the one to get the NXT North American title shot from Priest. Out of nowhere, Austin Theory makes his return and confronts Reed. Theory insults Reed and gets a big old slap across his mouth to shut the fuck up. He then smiles and takes it as Reed walks away from the situation. Uh, a couple things to break down in this. You know, Damian Priest, him being, you know, asked by Timothy Thatcher to <laughs> to have a match with him. Now we have Bronson Reed who's saying, hey, I've already pinned Damian Priest. I should have a fucking title shot. It looks like they'll throw those two in there. But then you have Austin Theory who's now returning, and I'm happy he's actually on NXT and not in the whatever fucking group Seth calls his group. Um, lot, of, lot, lot of shit happening. A lot of moving parts. What do you think? Uh, so the Damien Priest promo in general, where he was just talking about how the after party's still going on, he showed up with the shades on. I thought it was great, super serious Timothy Thatcher coming out and saying that, you know, very Bret Hart, saying it's embarrassing the way he's acting as a champion. So from that standpoint, I like that. And, and him saying he's the person that should get the first shot was like, well, you know, assuming this is going to be a four-way match based on the way the rest of the, the rest of the way, uh, the rest of the, the rest of how the show went. Um, and he says he would show Priest how inadequate the wrestling was. And then there's just this long pause, and Priest just kind of grabs his crotch and the belt and says, I don't know, I'm feeling pretty adequate. 
It's pretty fucking good. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it was pretty yeah. good as a promo piece. Um, I like a little bit of what they're doing with Damian Priest. Maybe it all it took was him getting the title. I think his, since he got the title, his promos have been good. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing what they do with him. I don't know how long he's going to hold it. Uh, the Bronson Reed thing I thought was cool just because I'm excited to see Austin Theory back on NXT. They sent him up too soon, and I'm, maybe the idea was to have him and Buddy Murphy as a tag team. And obviously with the allegations, they didn't want to push that button or have him anywhere near Seth, Seth Rollins. So I'm assuming that's why he got sent down. Um, there was one more thing you fucking asked me about, and I don't remember what it was, so I apologize. Um, I don't remember what it was either, but should they put Austin Theory and Velveteen Dream on a on a tag team together? Call it like <laughs> it's a Dreaming Theory. <laughs> no, TMZ. All right. TM- TMZ. <laughs> uh, yeah, you get fucking Ryan Satin all over that shit. Don't fucking uh, guzzle that stuff down his throat to complain about it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's uh that I mean it is a little weird that they're both now relegated back to NXT and well I mean I guess Dream never left but the assumption was he was on his way out and uh, yep now they're back here so let's take him out of the spotlight for a little bit and uh, hopefully people will forget and I would not be surprised if you get a digital fire theory sign. Um, yep. The crowd this week. I mean, fans are going to take shots. If they're thinking that fans are not going to digitally take shots at things that they feel upset about, then... Oh, I agree. But please don't put a fucking beheading from Iraq video up there, you fucking sons of bitches. Jesus Christ. Or a KKK guy. Yeah, there's there's a very difference between that kind of bullshit and saying, like, hey, you should have fired this guy. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, like, there is a, a moral differentiator there of, like, this person may have committed some very bad crimes, and we don't like the way you skated over it. Uh, it the fire dream thing, which was, like, the one from all of those articles, that's, like, the one that they headline as the most offensive thing. And then you read further down, you're like, no, that was, like, it's just a sign on how they feel about that one guy. That's not that's not anything to get reprimanded about. I mean, like if you think someone should be fired, like I, I mean, for instance, I could, I wish I had a sign that said fire Vince McMahon, do that in the digital crowd tonight, I guess. Um, but yeah, not as an actor, he can stay on and do those puffy eyed little segments once in a while and huge gulps. (laughs) All right. So, so we had our next match. We had a a match between um, Mia Yim and Shotzi Blackheart. And this is a good match, man. Uh, back and forth. Uh, I love Shotzi. I love Mia Yim. But it looks like, based off of rumors, Chris, there was uh, some pictures from uh, the fucking group of, of uh, you know, I forgot what the hell they're called. Revolution? It's not Revolution. It's, it's Reconciliation. Uh, Antifa. Antifa. There you go. That's the name of it. Why could I think of that? That's so weird. <laughs> It's um, ret- is it called but, Retribution? Retribution. Well, Mia okay. Yim looks like she might be one of the people. So I don't know if she's leaving sometime soon or if that was a bunch of bullshit. Um, but either way, uh, she – I don't know what's going on. I'm glad Shotzi got a win basically is what I'm trying to say. But it sucks that it's kind of at Mia Yim's um, – it's good for Shotzi though. This, this definitely puts her over more. So after the match, uh, Blackheart – has her arm raised as the music hits. 
and then she celebrates and makes her exit. Is this what happened beforehand where – no, I'm trying to think of when she ran over – what's his name's leg again? So was, right, right off the bat, Robert Stone comes out before the match that's starts. That's what I it's, it's not in here. Yeah. He comes out, and he's talking shit, and he's saying, um, what's her name? Mercedes is not going to be wrestling because she's injured. And then Shotzi runs her over and goes in there and has the match, right? Yeah, so basically what happens is Mia, Mia Yim enters the ring, and she's standing there, jobber style. And Robert Stone comes out, and he's fucking just bitching about how he's not letting Mercedes Martinez compete tonight. And then just out of nowhere, just behind him with no music or anything, Shotzi Blackheart just runs over his, like, dick and ass with a tank. Like, directly up the center of his back. And then just leaves it. And then she just leaves it on top of him. And then, like, we come back from break and the match starts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that was pretty good, man. Uh, Did you have any issues with uh, her getting a win over Mia Yim? I didn't. I had more issues with the match. It was very, um, we have to think about every move we're going to do. And I think I actually messaged you. I was like, this is a good match, but it feels very indie. Like maybe they didn't know they were going to wrestle each other beforehand. um, And the calling it in the ring was very slow, but overall it wasn't sloppy or anything. It's a, it's a, it was a pretty good match. Uh, Shotzi needs to get something other than the top rope back senton for a finisher. In my yeah, opinion, yeah, to, I agree. To, to take that next step as a star, um, it just it just you she just hit a senton and then went up to the top rope and hit another senton, and uh, I mean not to be nitpicky, but you put you know, a hat on a hat. Essentially, <laughs> you could have just hit three of those sentons in the center of the ring and not wasted your time crawling up to the top. And also, like Kevin Owens and other fuckers do that senton. Um, if it's a setup for a finisher or something, I, I mean, fine. Also, it's just her character is so broad and this huge deal or like this 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 big comic book type character. You would just think that you would have something called like the tank explosion or I don't know, something crazy. And then it's just like a top rope crescent senton, <laughs> which is not down. which is not that cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a move, an old school move that's, that she could bring back. Fucking call it like I don't know. Do a fucking double underhook DDT. What shit, about the X Flex? Has anyone done that recently? The X Flex. I mean, shit. She could do a Canadian Destroyer. Everyone's doing that. Oh no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I didn't say that about the Pat McAfee match. I actually, if I didn't, I just wanted to say it now. I actually didn't like that he did the the fucking. I wish they just like kicked him in the face. Oh. I, I he. The Panama Sunrise. It's like, I'm so sick of seeing Canadian Destroyers. It was impressive, though, for Pat. Well, maybe that's something that he just wanted to do, just to show off, like, hey, look, I can fucking go. From Pat's... I mean, because the guy taking the move is doing way more fucking work. Exactly. Do you remember when fucking uh, Cena was doing that springboard for a while? The springboard jump over powerbomb or whatever? Yeah. That was pretty cool springboard cutter and then everyone says that john cena doesn't ever doesn't know how wrestling and shit it's pretty Dude, cool give me a fucking break everyone says <laughs> anyways yeah i just I like get tilted before we <laughs> before we go into the next match so now that i'm pissed off at the level dinner uh we have the nxt cruiserweight title match isaiah swerve scott going against santos escobar 
It's a damn good match, man. This actually might have been my favorite match of the night. Uh, just a really fast-paced lucha match, but um, I think that this will continue in the future. But the end of it would have Escobar waiting for Swerve to get up, uh, but Swerve drops him with a running high knee for a two-count. They tangle on the mat some, but Swerve powers up with a big German suplex for two. Swerve gets hyped up, waiting for Escobar to get back to his feet. Swerve levels Escobar with a big kick, but the champ kicks out once again. Swerve scoops Escobar on his shoulders, um, but he slides out. Swerve counters in the corner with another big slam, but Escobar gets his arm on the bottom rope to break the pin. Escobar goes to the floor and pulls out a lucha mask. Escobar puts the mask on and headbutts Swerve as Swerve reacts to him in the ring. Swerve falls back from the headbutt and appears to be laid out. Escobar comes back in, covers him with the pin to get the win. Uh, Santos Escobar after the match. Escobar grabs his title, heads to the back as his music hits. Escobar poses on the ramp with the title and the lucha mask, which may have been rigged. He poses while Scott is still laid out in the ring. So, yeah, what I'm assuming, and I like the match better than the ending, but it's just now to make the the feud between the two of them. Go forward, and I'm all I'm down for that between the two of them. This is Killshot versus fucking uh, El Quiarto or King Quiarto. So this is going back to fucking Lucha Underground, man. I'm I'm down for this. But um, so I guess the idea we're supposed to get the impression that we're getting, you know, everyone's now, you know, uh, what's his name, is doing the the Sean Spears. He's doing the loaded glove, like that old school concept. I guess this is a loaded mask. Because I don't know why he would still be knocked unconscious after Escobar leaves up the ramp if it's not loaded. You know what I'm saying, Chris? So here's the thing that always bothered me about a loaded lucha mask. How does one protect their cells with a loaded lucha mask? (laughs) I didn't think about that. That makes a lot. (laughs) Like Shibata gave Okada a headbutt without a loaded lucha mask and almost killed himself. So <laughs> he put a piece of lead in there. <laughs> There's no guarantee you're not going to be the one that gets knocked the fuck out. Uh, so loaded lucha mask, bad, very cheesy finish. I thought outside of that, this was the best match on the show. But that being said, the rest of these matches were under like four minutes. So they did not give me a lot to fucking work with uh, match-wise and as far as wrestling goes on the show. This was definitely a setup show. So if you're looking for great ass oh, NXT yeah. wrestling, this is not gonna be it's the, the show. show after takeover. Yeah, but you know? that's like but we can't say that because me and you have watched NXT for the like three or four years at this point and the show after takeover it was never this and now it's this. Yep. Uh, oh well, what are you gonna do? So we have Fucking, uh, they could they could hire me and you and we could write the show. I mean, if they want to pay us, you know, what we make now just to talk about wrestling and shit and make their show better. Wait, wait, no, no, they're gonna pay us way more than that. What are you talking about? Well, you know, what, I'll that, take my, I'll take my fucking money. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the same salary. <laughs> it seems like an easier fucking job. There's no way I could come up with something not. <laughs> there's no way I couldn't come up with something better than a loaded fucking lucha mask. I know, man. It's like, what the fuck was that? Anyways. So, next match, Drake Maverick, Kyle O'Reilly. 
towards the end of the match between the two, and they did have a, a good match. Dude, Kyle O'Reilly is just so, like, his style, no one fucking does. I, I always want to say, like, I appreciate that. The way that he works, it's very unique, his taunts. I like him as a wrestler. And uh, Drake Maverick's great, too. You know, it's it's so weird that his the guys he looked up to, I mean, it makes sense a little bit, are Sky Tuhati and especially Spike Dudley. That's what said his uh, wrestling influences were, and I guess it makes sense. But um, O'Reilly talks some trash while keeping Drake down. O'Reilly takes Drake back down and kicks him in the back. Drake jumps back up and takes O'Reilly down, then kicks him in the back. Drake rocks O'Reilly in the corner and hits a bulldog and a senton for a pop. O'Reilly cuts Drake off with a knee to the gut. O'Reilly works on an arm, but uh, Drake keeps fighting. They trade strikes in the middle of the ring, uh, and O'Reilly kicks him in the leg. O'Reilly catches the leg, but gets dropped with an enziguri. More back and forth with Drake knee uh, buckling again. O'Reilly takes him down into a knee submission. Drake tries to fight out of it, but he eventually taps out. Winner, Kyle O'Reilly. And then after the match is more... Uh, the weirder thing, uh, after the match, O'Reilly stands tall and his music hits. The Undisputed uh, Era hits the ring for Drake, but Dana eventually runs down uh, to make the save. Oh, yeah, so they all start beating the shit out of Drake, and Killian Dane comes out. Uh, Killian Dane ends up clearing the ring as Drake tries to get to his feet. Drake limps over to Dane as it looks like they're about to get on the same page, but Dane drops uh, Drake with a big right hand. Dane marches to the back as the crowd boos. What the fuck was this? I didn't get this ending. Um, the, the the match itself I thought was pretty good. Uh, specifically with Drake Maverick at the beginning as a babyface. I thought he just did really, really good. And then Kyle O'Reilly taking over. Kyle O'Reilly, once again, him and Roderick Strong, probably the most underrated people on the entire WWE oh, fucking roster. Definitely. Uh, they're just so fucking great, and uh, yeah, no, they uh, they definitely said to they probably sent Drake a text after this is like this is what you get for getting yourself over you stupid fuck, because he got his ass kicked like three times in like less than ten minutes. The fuck was this? Why even sign this guy if this is how you're gonna treat him? Like honestly, they've buried him since that tournament. Like, why is he even there? They're just paying this guy money to just get buried, to just prove the fans wrong? Is that what this is? Is this a Zack Ryder situation? Because it kind of fucking feels like a Zack Ryder situation. On God forbid you do something to get yourself over, we can't have that. I I didn't think I would see this on NXT, uh, but here the fuck we are. So, poor Drake Maverick. (laughs) I'm just wondering if there's any type of plan, maybe, for him to tame... Killian Dane and then become a unit because when he came out, I was like, dude, this would be fucking fun if we have Drake Maverick and fucking Killian Dane in a tag team and they're somehow babyface and like an odd pairing. Those are always fun to do. So I, if this is the start, you either you can have this three ways basically. You can do it where this is nothing for Drake Maverick and has nothing to do with them and fuck him, kind of like you know what you're positioning, which makes a lot of sense based on what they've shown us. Or you can do where he's trying to get Killian Dane, I guess. Like, you know, maybe he confronts him, or they get on the same page and turn into a tag team. Or you have a match with him and Killian Dane, and I guess try to put Drake Maverick over Killian Dane? I don't know. 
I have no idea. I mean, my guess is we're not going to see Drake Maverick for like four weeks. But if if we do see him, I guess so, somehow next week. What 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 is the angle? Is what I'm wondering. I mean, if I see him next week, I'm going to think about what the what. Why did you do three beatdowns on this guy and he's not injured? Um, but. I mean, I guess the angle is he's going to be well. He's not going to take on all of the undisputed era, but maybe him versus Killian Dane, which also doesn't make any sense. So fuck if I know. I would just say this is very poorly booked, and they just hate Drake Maverick, and he he's probably not going to be on the product for the next three or four weeks. I hope that's not the case. That would that would suck. Um. All right. So our next match is Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai going against Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, good tab match. I mean, I like how at the beginning of it, how Rhea Ripley was like ordering EO to do shit. Like, you know, very, very domineering. Uh, but you know, I, it really feels like Rhea Ripley has pissed off way too many fucking people because Mercedes in this with Raquel Gonzalez, it sets up some options to see Rhea Ripley put in situations. What, what I'm assuming is before she leaves to go to either raw or SmackDown. Um, but maybe what originally was implied with her and Io Shirai, maybe we might not even get that far. So, anyways, let's to the end of the match. Um, we had Ripley is on the apron waiting for a tag. Shirai kicks Gonzalez away and tags Ripley in, but the referee missed it and Kai and him. Uh, Kai had him distracted. Gonzalez brings Shirai back to the corner and works her over. Mercedes Martinez suddenly appears in the ring, pulling Ripley off the apron and making her hit the steel ring steps face first. Uh, Gonzalez tries to take advantage and hits a big super power slam in the middle of the ring. Shirai still kicks out at two. Uh, Kai tags back in as Ripley slowly gets to the apron. Ripley saves Shirai from getting decked. Ripley stumbles in the ring as Gonzalez also tags in. Gonzalez levels Ripley and hits a big pump slam in the middle of the ring for the pin and the win. Gonzalez, obviously, she doesn't look – she's a bit green, but good power moves. Um, I, I think that was a point. You know, it seems like she wants a piece of Ripley. Obviously, Mercedes is not happy about being powerbombed on concrete. Um, you know, after the match, Gonzalez and Kai stand tall over Ripley – uh, Ripley and Shirai recover on the mat as Kai and Gonzalez talk trash from the stage. NXT goes off air. Obviously, Yo Shirai and her, they're, they don't really have a good relationship. So, you know, it seems like there's a bunch of, uh, and it's her fault, but it seems like Rhea Ripley has quite a few people that do not like her. So what are they going to do with her booking-wise going forward? And are we going to get her against Yo Shirai like I originally thought? you know, with her possibly taking that title off of EO with, you know, people like Mercedes and also, you know, um, Raquel. So, I mean, what are they going to do with her? They're just going to fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin because that's what they do, right? Everyone hates Rhea, so she's got to fight them all at the same time. Also, didn't we hear earlier in the show that Mercedes Martinez was not available to wrestle and that 
her manager told her to stay home before he got ran over with a tank? Yeah, I think he lied. Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't do him any good, that's for sure. <laughs> she definitely did not show up to protect the Robert Stone brand, or Robert Stone Stones. Um, I thought this was a solid match while it lasted. It it seemed rushed, but it got the point across. The show itself was pretty good. Um, just not enough wrestling. I mean, I guess they're going to give us a lot of wrestling next Tuesday, but not enough wrestling for me on this show. All right, well, let's move on to our last show that we got to talk about. Good old AEW. So, we start with Le Champion on on, uh, guest commentary. Uh, with Tony Schiavone and JR. So that was already starting off a fun concept. I love having Jericho on commentary. I think that does a good job still being heel, very much like who he tries to at least um, act like with Jesse Ventura. He would be able to put over the the baby faces and still admit that he didn't like them and, and whatnot. So it, it, it's good stuff. But we had this gauntlet match. I'm going to call it a fucking gauntlet match because that's what it is, or at least that's the fucking WWE gauntlet match, but a tag one. And uh, we started it with the Young Bucks and Natural Disasters. Um, this is pretty good. I mean, I think QT Marshall was in the match a majority of the time. I don't even remember. Like, I, th- this whole thing went by very, very fucking quickly. One of my favorite parts was Dustin takes the offense and gets a uh, Canadian Destroyer, and Jericho um, basically corrects JR after calling it a Canadian Destroyer. He says he's never been to Canada, so it's a Texas Destroyer. So thank you, Jericho, for clearing that up. Uh, anyways, but <laughs> inevitably, the Young Bucks hit double sweet uh, chin music on QT before uh, a BT on QT, which set up a pinfall victory for Nick and Matt with the win, and the Bucks advanced the gauntlet and uh, went against the best friends next. Um, best friends, basically, it, the ending was 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 pretty fucked up, Chris, because what happened was they were having a match. They were about to do the Metzler driver. And Hangman Page came out of the audience and held Nick Jackson's leg. Matt, inside the ring, was distracted and rolled up. So the best friends got to go on to go against FTR. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of anger. You, you, uh, Page looked upset. We don't know if there was more stuff said from FTR to gut in Page's head and made him do this type of shit, you know, against his friends, but he fucked over both of them, or maybe it was what they were saying about, like, think about it, if the Young Bucks beat you, you're going to be where you were a year ago, basically just behind them, they're laggies, you know, pumping that in his head, and making him confused, and he drinks all the damn time, so, he made a terrible decision and fucked over his two buddies, and because of that, FTR would win, eventually, against the best friends, and advance to go against Kenny and Hangman Page for the titles. I'm still predicting what I thought 
Kenny's going to fuck over Paige, and FTR are going to get those belts. But um, a lot of cool tag stuff. I was very happy they they did not give us any form of FTR versus the Young Bucks, uh, you know, for free. I, and that might sound weird, like I want to pay for it, but this that seems like something you put on a pay-per-view after the build-up that they've kind of built for that. So how did you like this uh, gauntlet tag match, and how do you like the outcome of what Paige did and the fact that we're going to be getting FTR versus Paige and Omega for the championships at All Out. So, I will start off by saying I liked most of the tag matches that were in here. Um, what I will say, I hated the way they handled Adam Cole, or Adam Adam Page. We've waited so long for this turn, or this turn of events, where he screws over the Young Bucks, or has some sort of turn to lean towards FTR, this was very fucking anticlimactic, with no explanation whatsoever. Uh, so I fucking hated that. I mean, I guess I can make up reasons in my head why he would do it, but I thought it sucks. He could have just been out there at ringside with him and, and like accidentally got bumped, and it would have made more sense on why he would have gotten involved in the match. But for him just to randomly get involved in the match, it seems like they're going to turn him heel. Um, and don't necessarily agree with that. So I don't normally crap on AEW's booking, but I thought this was fucking dog shit. Matches themselves were fine. All right. Well, went to a video of Darby Allen. God, he's fucking crazy. He had a Ricky Starks mask on. And he jumped off this giant bridge just like a crazy man. Well, that's pretty fucking nuts. Sami Zayn just returned to SmackDown. Anyways. Um, <laughs> that would be more nuts than Darby Allen jumping off something tall. It's like you're like, did you see what Jeff Hardy jumped off of? And I would be like, I don't know, a roller coaster? <laughs> oh, I, I was being serious. I got to stop watching SmackDown at the same time as this. Um... Oh, so Sami Zayn's back. Yep, and he's got a really long beard and mustache. And he just beat the shit out of Jeff Hardy. Well, hey, that's good. That makes sense. IC champ, former stripped of the IC belt, going for the IC belt. You heard it here first, this folks. And AJ's still involved, too. This could be a great three-way match if they end up having it like that. Because they always like to do fucking three-ways. Just like the eight-man tag teams on this show. What the fuck? Anyways... Sorry, I'm not going to bitch anymore. I'm going to keep on going. So we have the announcement of the all-out casino battle royal. Obviously, 21 people, their version of the Royal Rumble, shorter time periods in between. But we know by the end of the show, we had, let's see, we had Ricky Starks, we had uh, Darby Allen, we had Brian Cage, and then later Eddie came out. He said he was in it, Pentagon Phoenix, Butcher in the Blade. That is eight people so far out of 21. Um, this is going to be fun. I like these. And the winner gets a title shot. So, yeah, like I said, their version of the Royal Rumble they've always put on all out. I shouldn't say always since I think this will be like the third time. But they've done it in the past and shit. So a lot of the matches that we thought might be on all out, whether it be Ricky Stark, Starby Allen or Brian Cage and they set up with Lance Archer. Lance Archer comes out. He fucking destroys this dude. P- 
pins him, starts going around wanting to murder people. Jake's talking him up. Taz comes out. Jake called them the Flintstones. Ricky Starks, Taz, and Brian Cage. I don't know what the fuck that means. I, I think that, that Jake was going a little off script. or even, Not that they have a script, but wouldn't shut the fuck up. And I think he might have pissed off Taz. It was pretty funny. But it's Jake the Snake Roberts, so what do you expect? Uh, but anyways, they kind of just are hyping up this whole entire thing. And then, you know, Darby Allen uh, comes out. Wait, I'm sorry. Where the hell is this? All right, so Taz tells Jake he's going to slow him down. He says they'll never cross paths, but now it's different. He says at the Casino Battle Royal, one of the men of Team Taz is going to win, whether it be Cage or Starks. As they continue to bicker, Darby Allen's theme hits, and he comes rolling down on his skateboard. He tackles Starks, and they fight to the back while Archer and Cage are still in the ring, just like, you know... Two two fucking hosses wanting to fucking kill each other, and then I think that's when um, uh, what you call Jr. made the the comparison of Archer to just how fucking buckwild crazy uh, Stan Hansen was. That, so that's that's a big compliment from Jr. to Archer. But anyways, uh, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks are in the in the battle royal. It was just basically hyping up the battle royal itself, and it was a fun sequence. Kind of sucks a little bit. Like, I love to see an Archer and Brian Cage match for the Fuck the World title. That would be really cool. And I'd also like to see Starks and, uh, you know, Darby have something, even if it's just on Dynamite. But it looks like they're going to have a lot of these things, like I'm saying, in this. Uh, are you excited about the Battle Royal? You know, like I said, shorter time period, but basically the concept of the Royal Rumble. Um, but also, do you do you see maybe any wrestlers... Now that we know that there, there's already been a, not a partnership, but MLW's gotten along. Uh, obviously, AAA has gotten along with uh, what you call it, uh, AEW, and now we have the same thing happening with NWA. Could you see any wrestlers from any of those organizations making this top 21? Bold prediction. Go for it. Nick Aldis wins this. That would be fucking awesome. That would be great. And the only reason I say this, they're obviously working with NWA and probably not just the women's title um, because we had a grunge Lord and Savior (laughs) on this episode here with uh, Mr. Billy Corgan himself doing voiceovers for this AEW's World Championship, uh, Women's World Championship later on in the show. So I would not be surprised at all if someone like Nick Aldis shows up uh, as a surprise and wins this fucking thing. Because we have no idea when NWA is coming back. But if you want to utilize someone that's already a star and has feuds with some of these people already, Nick Aldis is a great fucking choice to just come out on top of this thing. So while they hyped a lot of stuff and it was kind of cool and and all of that, I do feel like there's just going to be an outside person that wins. So that's my yeah. bold prediction. I, I love it. I would love Nick to even be involved in it. If they have any people, like if we see maybe um, MLW champion, uh, you know, Fat, uh, Fatu come in and fucking just destroy some people, uh, even if he gets eliminated, or if maybe the maybe they can get with Impact and fucking just just for you know just a one time thing, get the uh, the Good Brothers to come in. 
Uh, I'm expecting, uh, I'm assuming at least Matt Cardona will probably be involved in this. Uh, there's also Eli Drake, James Storm from NWA, a uh, bunch of people from AAA that could, you know, just have like a person come over, like imagine Psycho Clown being in it. There's a lot of cool things they can do with this Battle Royal. We already know about eight people that are definitely in it, so I'm excited. As far as the sequence that happened, you know, everything that happened between, would you potentially like to see, you know, a match between Archer and Brian Cage and, like, you know, what they set up with Darby Allin and Ricky Starks going forward? Sure. I feel like Lance Archer back up. He's only been doing one squash match tonight, and uh, Brian Cage has lost his last two matches. So if they make me care about either of them, I'll be more excited about it, I guess. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. But they'll have um, a good fucking match, like Brian Cage and Lance Archer together, like in, in the ring. And slapping meat, as Big E would say. Big Ben slapping yeah. meat. I'm down for that. I mean, you'll get some great promos from Jake and Taz if they want to go that route. Uh, I'm still not sold on Ricky Starts being anywhere near their main product, but... We'll see. All right. Well, we had NWA, uh, AEW. I mean, this is exactly what we're about to talk about. The title match package uh, between Hikaru Shida and NWA Women's Champion Thunder Rosa uh, for the match at All Out between them. And just excited about this. Like we said, the fact that Billy Corgan, he said on the lines something of, I'm really looking forward to the relationship to build between NWA and AEW makes me think even more so than MLW or AAA, who they already have interactions with and they share with uh, to some extent, that this could be really a working relationship. And the biggest thing to me, uh, even if he's not going to win this battle royal that we're talking about, I want the third match between Aldis and Cody. They had two fucking awesome matches. They really did. Um, I want the rubber match. And I, I, I... I want. I've been wanting that for a while. So, if we can get any interaction with the champions, champion, the real world champion, you know, Aldis kind of has this 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 cockiness, and it makes sense with him bringing so much more. I think prestige to the NWA title that's been like that for a while. You know, he's kind of like a Bret Hart type type of uh, thing about him of of how highly he regards himself and his championship. So. Yeah, I definitely wanted some interaction with Aldis. And, I mean, there's a lot of guys over there that, like I said, Storm, Eli Drake, you know, uh, plenty of people. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more on this. Um, there, There's just so many people. And I would even love something just for, – for this, you know, WWE always has their legends – for the 21 Battle Royal. Yep. Wouldn't it be great for like, like a Ricky Morton or not Ricky Morton? Uh, God, uh, one of the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, you can't think. Of, I don't know why I'm blanking on the fucking name. Ricky um, Morton show up. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. I got it right. For some reason, it just sounded like I said Ricky and Morty in my head, and I'm like, yeah, wouldn't it be fucking weird if they. Should- but it's also AEW, and they totally did that, so not that far-fetched. Uh, 
I actually tweeted at Brian Alvarez earlier. I was like, so are you showing up in this casino battle royal or what? Oh, that would be awesome. That would be fucking funny, right? Uh, Kind of on the nose, but funny. Especially if Um, Marco Stunt showed up, beat him up, and then threw him out of the ring. Or he breaks Marco's leg again. (laughs) One of the the Uh, two. Um, uh, That's another one. Filthy Tom Lawler. Would love to see him in this. Yeah, I, I want to know what his contract is like because he's been doing some stuff with New Japan here and there. And uh... I think MLW is just like, you know, NWA at this point. They're like, we don't have anything to provide for you guys, so if you want to go out and fucking do shit, go for it. You know? Yeah, I know I know. Filthy Tom's been doing a lot with Black Label Pro, which is kind of his uh, go-to for indie dates. But it would be cool to see, see some stuff like that. I mean, if they're serious about Brian Pillman Jr., who's done a lot of jobs for them on uh, AEW Dark, this would be a good time to like get him some, yep, some strong, at least putting people out of the ring. Uh, this this one's so cool to me because it has to be better than the last two, I think, because mm-hmm. they got, or the, at least the last one, I should say, um, because it got made fun of so hard because they had like a bunch of funny spots in it and i think this is a time where you have so much availability especially if nwa is in a working relationship like you said uh where there's so many people you can get in on this thing and uh i mean god james storm just hitting somebody with a beer bottle and super kicking them out of the ring or something like that's fucking awesome yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited about it i love all that's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be a great pay-per-view uh their last two have not shown me any differently that I should think otherwise. So, <sighs> let's keep on did moving. You, did, well, real quick, did you like the mashup of Shivani and Billy Corgan putting over Thunder Rosa? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a weird combo to me. But I was like, this is fucking awesome. Billy Corgan somewhere right now, so excited that he got to hang out with Tony Shivani for like ten seconds or whatever. <laughs> yeah, dude, I agree. I- well, we should also talk about that. I'm really fucking excited for the match of Sheeta and uh, Thunder Rosa. I mean, you literally have one of the best Hispanic, uh, you know, female wrestlers that has such a prestigious title in Thunder Rosa going against one of the most, like, one of the best, uh, you know, Japanese Yoshi wrestlers in Hikaru Shida, who is the AW champion. And... This is just for that belt. It would be cool if both belts were on the line, but I understand if they don't want to do too much. I kind of see Thunder Rosa losing this, but who knows? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited about this match. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot they could do with this. They could bring back someone like an awesome... I mean, they're not going to do a finish, but there's a lot. They, right. Um, they could do a time limit draw. They wanted to say, this is a 15-minute match or whatever they could go that route there's so many cool things and that's one good thing about um aw not doing a lot of dq finishes is if you make it a rarity you can get yourself out of these big match situations where you know both people look good i agree man all right so we have the contract signing much longer than the two ladies that we just previously did but we gotta get a lot of stuff out there and I have to say, um, God, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but MJF, 
kind of got on my nerves in a bad way throughout this. He talked a lot um, in this contract signing. I mean, most of it was good zings, and he would get to those, especially like when he fucking brought up his wife towards the end of it. But basically, this was MJF signing the papers and, you know, berating John Moxley, saying, you know, if you don't need that move, then what does it matter? You know, blah, 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 blah. And Moxley's looking over it, and he's just talking more trash. Uh, just, you know, really cutting him down for you used to study people like. Sandman, like New Jack, like uh, Zandig, uh, like Onita, people I consider like, you know, garbage fire. And he said, I I studied people like Buddy Rogers, like Ernie Ladd. And I, by the way, got to say, we all know how old MJF is. Pretty fucking young. There is not a lot of Buddy Rogers online. Trust me, I've tried to watch as much as I could. So I'm wondering how you get to study him. <laughs> like, you went to Ernie Ladd and Buddy Rogers first? Why don't you stick in the realm of, of truth that, you, you know, you said one of them, Tully Blanchard. But you're a huge Roddy Roddy Piper fan. You're a huge Ric Flair fan. You're a huge, what, what's the uh, gentleman, Gino Hernandez fan, you know? Be realistic a little bit. Like, fucking Buddy Rogers and... I'm sorry. I know that's nitpicking. SMJ, well, he's I mean, one of the best problems. He, he's one of the boys, so maybe Cornette's sending him tapes. You know, Cornette's a huge MJF fan. Maybe he's got all of Cornette's back catalog of Ernie Lab matches or some shit that we're not aware of. So I didn't have his. I agree with you, but also I just I just wrote it off as like MJF has an in with getting good tape trades, unlike me as a kid. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Okay, but um, yeah. So this contract signing goes on forever, uh, and once it finally gets to Moxley, he signs it pretty eagerly. Uh, the well, the comment about Renee got him up, and then his lawyer said something about he's going to sue him. Apparently, from what, and I forgot what the hell the gentleman's name is, uh, but the lawyer, uh, what, what's his name, um. We just said Jim Cornette, he actually pointed him out. He was a manager uh, and a wrestler that he knew of, and he was saying that, you know, he doesn't come off the greatest. He looks like he's acting as a lawyer, but he should definitely be a manager for someone. Uh, so that's getting, good getting put over as a manager from Jim Cornette, regardless if he usually hates most of the shit on this, but loves MJF. Anyway, so MJF, uh, you know, his lawyer gets called a dickwad by Moxley. And he doesn't care about the paradigm shift. He said that he can get more creative. We talked about this. He's, he's choked people out recently. Um, he has done the, uh, whatchamacallit, the Gotch Pal Driver as a little bit of a tribute to Mr. Minoru Suzuki. I mean, he's got other things that he can do, arm bars that he was doing to Brian Cage. So he's just getting creative now. And all of them start laughing immediately. I wish that, uh, whatchamacallit, MJF would have thrown off the neck guard, just like at Moxley, just to put it up that much over the top. Moxley's like, oh, I'm, I'm surprised that you guys aren't laughing about page 17. Well, it's a 16-page document originally, but Moxley put in a clause that says that he gets to beat the living shit out of the lawyer as a prelim match before he takes down MJF on Sunday. I still think there's a good chance, I'm kind of putting on it, that MJF is going to win on Sunday. I'm sorry, bold prediction or not. But 
I don't know if that. I don't know if you're gonna add a seven. If you're gonna add extra page mocks. I don't know. To me, like if you're gonna have a seventeen page that you're gonna put in their mocks, I want to put something. I don't know, like a little bit that's gonna help you, benefit you. Get out, lawyer. Get that out of the way. That's fine. But yeah, what do you think is gonna happen from this, Chris? Um, like. What do you see happening from the match in the long run between Moxley and JF? How did you like this signing? Well, I thought MJF's promo was a little annoying, much as you did. Uh, but it, I think it was supposed to be. He was supposed to be overconfident and cocky. And um, I really did like Moxley was a smart babyface. And outsmarted him. And I get what you're saying, where something that would advantage Moxley, but the entire idea of Moxley is he's just going to tear this fucker apart no matter what. Right? I mean, he just ripped, tried to rip Brian Cage's arm off twice. So if that's what they're trying to get over, then I guess that's the case. I would think that, you know, MJF probably does pick up the title here, but it's going to have something to do with Wardlow and not necessarily Moxley losing clean. And then that builds more towards he, an he MJF. Wardlow, he called Wardlow Flex Magazine. That was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> I just like that he fucking dropped Onita and John Zandig, which has to be the only time they've ever been promoted on fucking national TV in America. <laughs> Right, uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I I like the idea of this match. I don't know. I don't know the finish. I mean, I, I'm I want to go with MJF much like you, but I do think that's just going to lead to a feud between Wardlow and um, Wardlow and and MJF to some extent. I mean, worst case scenario, they just keep it on Moxley and nothing happens, and this is all done, and you get the feud between MJF and Wardlow, anyways. But MJF is the—he's the only person that would make transitioning to the title right now make sense, unless they're going to bring in someone like a Nick Aldis to win this battle royal, and then that's your next guy, just because they haven't built anyone up else up to that title picture and. You know, besides Cody, I mean, it was Darby Allen, and he's already beat Darby Allen for the title. Good point. All those are extremely good points. So yeah, it's 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 very interesting. I just don't see. I kind of have to, uh, or he kind of has to win the match. But um, anyways, let's go on. We had Proud and Powerful addressing the best friends, basically saying that that they're not going to apologize to uh, their mother, that they actually wish the mother was in the van when they destroyed it. So that's pretty messed up. And then we had a bonkers match with the Lucha Bros, Butcher and the Blade, Joey Janela, Griff Garrison, Sonny Kiss, and Brian Pillman. And not officially, Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison um, have been going by the Hollywood Blondes at least uh, online. So they've, they've been a tag team on, on dark before, uh, um, you know, so this was a, this was a pretty good match. Uh, we have Eddie Kingston now with this new, he, he even tries to say like, you know, it's not stable. He tells everyone to shut up later on. Um, but 
they went in there and and they they did some work, man. They uh they beat the crap out of most of them. But anyways, towards the end of the match, I'm not too happy by the way that Brian Pillman had to take the uh, the loss to this at all. Um, what are you gonna do? But we come back for a commercial break and the Lucha Brothers are taking out uh Sunny Kiss. He dumps him to the floor. Pentagon Junior. Package pal driver Brian uh, K- or Brian Pillman Jr. with a big springboard attempt as all hell breaks loose uh, again with people in and out of the ring. Pillman Jr. gets run over by the butcher with a big clothesline. A cool uh, neck breaker power slam double team move connects as the action picks up, leading to the finish with Pentagon Jr. scoring the pin on Pillman Jr. Uh, winners Lucha Bros, the butcher and the blade, and and uh, yeah. Like I said, Eddie Kingston um, cut a promo. Uh, people were cheering for him. He shut them down immediately. He said that they're a family and that they're going to basically be uh, something something to mess with within the future. Like, don't fuck with them, basically. And all of them will be a part of the Battle Royal. So he said it doesn't matter who, but one of the five of them are going to win that Battle Royal coming up. So, um match was a lot of shit on, and they didn't have a lot of time to do it. But like I said, I liked seeing Pillman in there uh, and doing his thing. I want to see more of him. Um, I just think that he's got a great look. The fact that he's the dad of a wrestler that I really liked back when I was younger definitely has a bit to do with it, but I just want the best for him anyways, uh, you know, because of the fact that he has a lot against them. So uh, there you go. And uh, I want Pentagon as a solo wrestler eddie work on that please for me uh phoenix too but especially pentagon um so yeah there you go what do you think chris i think i'm looking at dave Meltzer's notes and he put at the beginning of this uh both janella and pillman took some spectacularly stupid bumps and that does (laughs) sum up some of the things they did in this match there's a lot of shit i mean i thought pentagon and ray looks good i like the kingston promo afterwards um, he said his his team will be in the Battle Royal, so that adds some additional people, I guess. I don't know if that was included in your the eight. Yeah. So it's five along with the four that we know of with Brian Cage, Archer, um, Darby Allen, and uh, Ricky Starks. Okay, so, yeah, so they're there. Uh, maybe Bastard Pack comes back. Oh, I would love that. Which would be great. And if they go that route... And Kingston's a mouthpiece, and he has this other—he has this other guy that can cut some good promos too. Maybe you don't take the belt off Moxley, and you get Pack versus Moxley. And some you of those crazy promos. Kenny coming too, though. I feel like he's going to probably be in the title picture. Yeah, and him and Pack have some unfinished business, so to speak. So, yep. well, they both do actually, both of those. So when he comes back, that's there's some good fuse built in. But I just have to assume that he's getting thrown in this group just with the past of Eddie Kingston, as you've talked about um, last week. Yep. This was a f- okay match. It was a lot of fucking spots. And, I mean, Pillman's been taking every pin, so I'm assuming they're planning on not using him in the future or giving him a really huge win very soon. I hope it's the latter. I'm going to assume it's the latter. Um... I know a lot of people are looking out for him in that company, including Cody and Kenny, uh, because he's a huge fan of both of theirs. 
Uh, and also it, Jericho, for that matter. Jericho's been looking out for him for a while, too. It, I mean, it could just be a contract thing where he's going to be next up for the MLW title or something, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I think he just dropped the middleweight before the pandemic. Yeah, so, I mean, it could just be like, hey, we need you to take losses, and then we'll bring, bring you back and do something big later on. All right, so we had one of the weirdest segments. You know, you had a chance, I thought, with the Dark Order, with the stuff that you were doing on Being the Elite beforehand that was kind of showing. I mean, they're a little bit, they kind of made them a little bit comedic, but how Brody is just a fucking asshole and beats the shit out of all of them all the damn time and kind of like, you know, mentally abuses them. And this last episode when they won, it was all about chilies and then buying lawnmowers. And a lot of the stuff that happened in this was kind of just silly, stupid, and it was actually referencing, if you didn't watch Being the Elite, you had no idea what the fuck they were talking about. So I'm just going to put that out there because you dropped them on such a big note on Saturday. They looked dominant and just mean and and, 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 and just a, a different side of the Dark Order for the first time. I was actually considering them a legitimate threat, but then we had this goofy shit. Now, some of it was funny as fuck. Like when, when they started doing the, you deserve it, clap, 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 and Brody's like, shut up! Like, yeah, that was funny. Or when one of them was like, I love you! And he just beats the shit out of them. That type of stuff is, is, is good, but I don't know. It's like, I finally started taking the Dark Order seriously a bit. Anyway, so they head to the ring. Evil Uno gets on the mic, gets a promo, while the exalted one has yet to show his face. Uh, he he shows that because of the championship that the Exalted One has bought six lawnmowers as Evil Uno talks about buying uh, them. Uh, they, they say this isn't just celebration. It's them bidding farewell to the man known as Cody. They open the casket and uh, Dark Order number 10 comes out. He's got the Nightmare Family tattoo and he's wearing the Nightmare Family jacket. He takes it off, and they close the casket uh, for the Nightmare family. He says that they bury the prince to make way for the king, the new TNT champion, Mr. Brody Lee. Now the exalted one of the Dark Order is introduced. Out he comes with the TNT championship and Anna J by his side. They also bought cars. I remember that part, too. But anyways, Tony enters the ring to interview him. He says the TNT championship open challenge are over. No more TV uh, time for indie wrestlers. He wants to introduce uh, us the newest member of the Dark Order, Anna J, the Queen Slayer, number 99. One of the Dark Order members speaks out of turn to tell Brody how awesome he is. Brody knocks him out and tells Tony to take a hike. As he continues to top, Dustin Rose and QT Marshall hit the ring, but within seconds, the Dark Order members outnumber them and guzzle them out. And then Scorpion Sky hits the ring, uh, knocks many Dark Order members down, uh, but they get the best of him because of Brody Lee. Uh, and then comes out Matt Cardona, hits the ring, helps out Sky, Dustin, QT, clean house, the Dark Order members, except Brody Lee. Now Brody comes out on the stage to complain as the Dark Order members retreat along to his side. We have a big stare down between both faction of wrestlers, as we head to another commercial break, this could be a four-on-four type of situation building up, I'm assuming, for All Out, potentially. Don't know. But, like I said, com- the comedic stuff is, is funny. It's just some of it 
it's like, like I said, it, you finally got me to start taking the group a bit seriously. Uh, Matt Cardona hasn't said one word since he's been on the fucking the, the product. He was there to save Cody. He was in a match. And now this, I'd like to hear him say something on a future show. And if this is like a four-on-four style match, cool. I would rather see Matt Cardona go against uh, Brody Lee for the title or something like that. And I hope that's actually what they're setting up. Could be wrong. What'd you think, Chris? Where the fuck was Cody Rhodes? He's dead. He's dead. Him and him and Brandy are gone. They're fucking over. I just watched a grown man get punted in the head three times on one show. How is Cody now dead? Well, Drew McIntyre has a really powerful skull. Apparently, he got animantium applied on top of it. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he has an adamantium skull like uh, Okada, I guess. Pretty much, yeah, because it didn't really work well for Shibata. (laughs) God, that's such a bad joke, but it's just just so baffling that they're not both hurt somehow. (laughs) I, uh, Um, I, I don't have much for you on that. So with Brody, with Brody Lee, this came off very WWF, the comedy. I completely agree. This would be on Monday Night Raw. And I hated it. And also, why is Scorpio Sky running in after he just lost to Cody and was pissed off? And where the fuck is the rest of SEU, specifically Christopher Daniels, the falling angel, who actually has a reason to be pissed at these people? And what the fuck is Matt? I guess Matt Cardona, because he is Cody's friend, showed up. Sure. Why hasn't he cut a promo yet? Because <laughs> they don't know what know what to do with Mr. Matt Cardona, I guess. They brought him I in too give early. A couple hints. You guys couldn't have held out until this twenty-one casino battle royal or some shit uh, for his return. He just showed up. Had fucking. You know what, Dane? All of this was fucking stupid. That's the actual answer. I do this as WWE. I'm going to do it to AEW. This was fucking stupid. This is a waste of my fucking time. I mean, you're going to build a four-way match when Cody should definitely have a, uh, you know, a rematch in general, and this is what the fuck you're building? Cool. Seems awesome. No, it fucking sucked. Yep. Well, I don't know how I feel about the next part either. I, I like the concept they set up. But this was Hangman Page. He was going to get interviewed. Uh, he was at the bar, weird. And Nick and Matt Jackson found him, and they started being, you know, just berating him. And they were very mad, which understandable because he caused them to match. Page was selling it and legitimately looked like he was upset that he felt bad. And the lines, especially out of Matt, were so hammy and so just, eh. Like, I just didn't believe any of it. There was no conviction. It just seemed like he was overacting or something like that. But um, long story short, they were mad at Paige, and they, they Matt fucking grabbed his drink and poured it in his face. They called him a drunk, and they told him he was out of the elite. I would just want to say, Paige, that even though you're having issues and your fucking partner's going psycho, 
don't worry about being the goddamn elite. You don't need to be in the elite. You'll be fine. But uh, yeah, just more stuff that's gonna cause uh, some some. Once Kenny fucks over Paige, you know, and FTR and Kenny are just beating the shit out of him, I think the Young Bucks are gonna come and save him somehow. It's all gonna come around, Chris. I I like to I like think that maybe the elite's not gonna save anyone, and they're gonna get left on their lonesome. Uh, but I will say this: it makes no fucking sense because isn't the entire thing that it, even if you keep up with being to being the elite, wasn't the entire thing that Adam Cole or Adam Page said he was not part of the elite anymore months About ago? About a year ago, he quit. A year ago. So how can you kick someone out of something they're not part of? Because those guys are cocky little dickheads. I mean, that's what I get whenever I watch any of their shows. I hope that's the character they're, they're trying to portray. I mean, that's why I always thought they were heels, even though I guess they're not supposed to be heels because they're indie <sighs> heroes. But they're supposed to be fucking heels, right? And they just got over? I don't know, man. Anyways, uh, you know what? <laughs> Write this up to this also sucked. <laughs> this is a this is a new fucking record for me saying things on AEW sucked. I don't think the show was bad, but like if you're talking about booking and shit, this was not some of their <laughs> best. This not is not some of better. their best work. It was. This we're is not, not a, some of their best work. I'm sorry. I'm just saying we're not about to get better. So big swall. Those against Rebel and Penelope Ford. Uh, so Britt Baker basically said, choose whatever stipulation if you can beat Rebel and Penelope Ford. I I want to assume, I'm, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, that she was trying to make herself look terrible. But then I found out that Rebel had what a lot of people judge as one of the worst matches in TNA history, and I forgot the name of the the the, um, the Mexican um, luchador female that she went against. But I watched it, and it was fucking bloody awful. And I don't know. I don't know if she was trying to be bad. I, I'm pretty sure a couple of those were just terrible botches. This was bad. Swole won, and she gets stipulation, but especially Rebel for everything that she did pretty much in the match. And I can't think of everything. I, I, obviously, one of them was falling off the top ropes but this was just fucking just not good um yeah uh what would you think chris here's an idea if you have a handicap match and you know one person is better than the other person have them do most of the shit in the match yeah probably would make a lot of sense because Britt baker a thousand times better than rebel i like their gimmick and them being put together and that's fine and all, but you were not wrong when you sent me this. You were like, holy shit, you're going to shit on this. <laughs> I just felt bad for Penelope Ford. <laughs> Ugh, she looked terrible in it, and it's because she wasn't tagged in pretty much any of it. It was all rubble. It's, it was terrible. It's, uh, you know what? Britt Baker's healthy. You should have just said Rebby and Britt Baker versus Big Swole and faked an injure. Or uh, you should have done Penelope and Brent Baker versus Big Swole and faked, you know, Rebby getting hurt beforehand. Did some kind of segment with Big Swole and then Brent Baker's fine. Because as far as I know, she's good right now, right? 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This uh, this fucking was the worst thing on any of the shows we watched, as far as in ring work goes. <laughs> God. Oh man. I mean, it was bad. And the thing is, is it didn't even have match? to be bad. You could have had just Penelope Ford carry the match and then make a hot tag on uh, Rebby or Reba, as they call her, I guess. So if uh, you guys want to watch, apparently, and if you just search Rebel versus Shelly Martinez, TNA, every single link is the worst match in the world. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I would definitely watch it. At one point, Shelly Martinez, I don't know what happens. They're in a hold, and she starts screaming, my vag! Ow, my vag! So I guess Rebel hit her in the vag. I don't know what the fuck. But it's <laughs> so bad. It's terrible. Do you think that written in Matt Hardy's contract somewhere, Rebby Hardy, Rebby Hardy just put in there, do not ever call her Rebby, call her Reba or Rebel because she's yeah. not me. <laughs> like just, it's just written in there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so. Basically, the Dark Order with uh, Anna Jay came up to Taya Conti, who was in the audience. They were in a tag team during the tournament, and they asked her to join the Dark Order, and she joined. Anyways, um, so we had AEW all announcements. Announcement trio. Uh, oh, the announced trio. So the announced group, uh, they run down the matches, including Chris Jericho versus Joey Janela for next week's show which returns to its uh, normal time slot on Wednesday night. Uh, additionally, they announced new matches for All Out and run down some of the previously announced matches, such as the Mimosa Mayhem match. Um, oh, okay, so you're not going to actually listen to any of them. Thank you very much, Wrestling Headlines. Anyways, let's go to the tables match. Sammy Guevara, Matt Hardy. This match was fucking brutal. And Sammy got a bit of a receipt because he accidentally got split open on the side of his fucking head with his giant gash in the match. I like their way of doing table matches that if you accidentally go through a table, it doesn't count. You literally have to be put through a table from the other person. That allows you to have more table spots and not have all these stupid moments where it's like, whoa, whoa. Like, I actually really like the idea of that. Um, but the match was just, like I said, very brutal, very violent. Matt Hardy now wants to kill people. He is gone over the edge more so than fucking Kenny is ever going to go. I, I don't know where the hell Matt Hardy is right now, but the announcer's question if Hardy can even continue, uh, as he apparently nailed the back of his head on that spot very badly. Well, what was the spot? Let's go back actually up a thing. So back to the action live, and JR does his best to recap all that just had happened. We're back now, and Sammy is laid on a table covered in blood. Hardy goes for an elbow drop uh, to him, through it, but Sammy moves, and as Jericho explains, because he put himself through a table, uh, the match continues. The announced uh, question if Hardy can even continue as he apparently nailed his back of his head on that spot pretty badly. Hardy puts Hardy puts Sammy's head through a steel chair and hits a twist of fate while he's in the chair. It was fucking brutal as shit, man. Um, I don't know why that was necessary, honestly. Hardy goes under the ring and pulls out another special table that says deleted on it. He puts it in the ring and sets it up. He puts Sammy on top of it. And he goes out 
to climb the top rope as the fans start chanting, delete, delete, delete. Hardy slips on his way up, and Sammy pops off the table and leaps up to the top. He suplexed Hardy through the table, and the bell sounds. Sammy wins. And, uh, and I'm assuming that we're going to get some type of, you know, a, a, a third match between the two of them as well. So I don't know if that's going to happen that all out. But uh, afterwards, Jericho puts over Sammy as his partner and a proud member of the inner circle and calls this one of the best finishes to one of the best episodes of AEW Dynamite ever. But it's not over, folks, because Orange Cassidy comes running over to the announce area. Fly, like, if you're watching... All of a sudden, like, you see a blip, like a fume, like the flash goes by. And then you hear JR bitching because <laughs> I don't – I think he knew the spot was happening, but Orange Cassidy ran so fucking fast and jumped on Jericho that it basically pushed everyone the fuck out of the way. And then security's there trying to block him off. Tony's like, come on, Jericho, let's move out of the way. He accidentally, like – he literally smacked one of the security guards out. I love old grumpy JR. It's great. Uh, but he's beating the living hell out of fucking Jericho. Jericho's jumping on top of him, getting a couple hits, and then it's reversed. Brawl, the brawl continues as this week's show goes off air with JR plugging AEW All Out pay-per-view on September 5th. And that was it. But I uh, thought it was an awesome, brutal match between Sammy and, uh, and and Matt Hardy. It might have been actually might at least the most exciting match on the card. Uh, Sammy getting his head fucking sliced the fuck open. And then, like I said, seeing Orange Cassidy have that much aggression towards Chris Jericho, pretty fucking awesome. I thought that was actually a pretty good send-off and a pretty good end to a decent episode of AEW Dynamite. What'd you think, Chris? This was a fucking awesome match for eight minutes that had two commercial breaks. What the fuck? Dude, you're right! (laughs) Why? You couldn't have cut some other shit out of this show. <laughs> fucking meanwhile, Matt Hardy and Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara are fucking murdering each other in this match, and you gotta go to fucking commercial. Are you serious? You couldn't have cut out some of this fucking Dark Order bullshit. But don't worry, we're gonna go picture in picture. Fucking picture in picture, my ass. I wanted to see all of this. This is Matt Hardy trying to get back at Sammy Guevara for almost killing him. So uh, I fucking hated that. But the match itself was pretty good. Um, and it was cool to see a match get finished with a fucking superplex, Dane. A superplex won this match. I agree. But how do you like, I was wondering, their way of doing table matches? Because I think it makes sense and it makes it more fun the way they're doing it. Yeah, putting yourself through a table should not count as you lost a tables match. I've always thought that, so I, I like that a lot better, too, and I like Jericho fucking explain that, and I like Jericho put over how awesome Sammy Guevara was for winning the match, and I like Sammy Guevara, obviously, must have told Matt Hardy, he's like, lay it the fuck in, I'm sorry, dude, because Matt Hardy, who's, who's honestly is a pretty light worker, he's not the stiffest person in the world, uh, did whip the absolute dog shit out of Sammy Guevara, so... Hopefully, Rebby is no longer Maddie, uh, mad at Sammy now after this one. But this was a, a hard-hitting-ass match, and uh, I'm ready for the follow-up of Sammy versus Matt. And uh, I, I'm too. This was a great fucking main event. This was definitely the best thing on the fucking show. It's not even close. 
I'm sure someone's going to come out of the woodwork on fucking Twitter at me and say, well, you didn't watch all of those fucking tag matches. Yes, the fuck I did, but the storyline didn't make any goddamn sense, whereas I care more about this feud uh, <laughs> than <laughs> this weird thing you guys decided to do with Adam Page, bringing it even further into later on in the episode where he's not in the elite anymore when he said he wasn't the fucking elite anymore. Look, if you fuckers want me to watch being the elite and then I watch it, but then later on on your show, you tell me it's bullshit. Or if I miss something on being the elite and you're like, oh, you should have been watching being the elite fucking make a decision on what you want me to watch. This was a very frustrating episode of AEW dynamite for me. Dane. Um, yep. As someone who's been very positive about the show for the most part, but you know what? It only takes so long. You're eventually going to get the heat. <laughs> this episode got the heat. <laughs> so I, I don't know the breakdown in either other episodes uh, ratings-wise. I know that they both did well. Uh, two questions. Uh, which show did you like more? And if there seemed to be an increase, even on the Saturday show, for, for being on a Saturday, AEW did extremely well. Um do you think that the networks, because of this, and they're realizing if, if if we don't have them going at the same time, we'll have higher ratings on different days. Do you think that USA or TNT might be like, hey, one of you needs to fucking switch, basically, and figure this out so you can actually achieve the most ratings? Uh, what do you think about that whole entire concept? And also, which show this week did you like more? Because I think I actually liked NXT a bit more. But that's the first time in a long time, honestly. I liked the wrestling on AEW a little bit better just because there was more of it. But I liked the story arcs on NXT a little bit better. And the show actually flowed a little bit better than AEW because there was parts of AEW, as people just heard, that really pissed me off. Um, AEW was at 813,000 viewers on Thursday, which is not its common spot. I want to say it was under 800,000 on that Saturday. And I did just recently see that when people are watching both AEW and uh, NXT, there is almost a 200,000 viewer switchover between the two. I don't know how accurate this is. I think Dave posted it. So take it for what it is. If you think it's bullshit, then get it Dave Meltzer, not me. Um, but he's saying that during commercial breaks, when both products are running, or one's running and not the other, there is a hard shift. So there's definitely a, a crowd of people that are trying to watch both or switching between them to see what's up. So that kind just of tells you... Just quit being bitches and get two TVs. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just do the day. <laughs> just do the 90s, bro. Walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, all right, well... I guess uh, I guess it's our episode, man. Um, it's a good episode. We talked about a lot of good stuff. Uh, our next episode, we get to cover some awesome subjects. I'm looking forward to talking to you tomorrow, like Monday Night Raw and the SmackDown I've barely watched, so I'll have to watch it in the morning. And uh, predicting Payback, the the pay per view after the pay per view, the hat on the hat. Are you excited? Uh, no, I haven't watched. <laughs> I haven't watched SmackDown yet. There's one cool spot that I'm excited about, according to you earlier in this episode. But no, not not super stoked about it. <laughs> that Monday Night Raw was not very good. 
Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll go into my theories about retribution or what they should have done at least, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about that. But uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, we always enjoy doing that for our public out there. And uh, yeah, if you're a new listener, definitely go to geekvibesnation.com. That's Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, you'll find links to different news articles from our staff. Uh, you'll find different links to our social media on Instagram. Twitter and Facebook, all at Geek Vibes. Uh, so search that. Join the conversation. Join Geek Vibes Nation. You can find me on Twitter at Danehouse42. And if you Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance, you can find many different links for all of the different audio platforms that you can listen to for our show. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We are on pretty much any downloadable platform uh, and YouTube. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Like I said, you guys can find that. Um, I want to thank my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Thank you so much for joining me like usual, buddy, and have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for having me, Dane. As always, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. And for the throwout song this week, I have a group from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, AT Aliens themselves, The Subdivisions. We're going to play a classic trap. Uh, called the crippler look them up subdivisions on spotify they're also on twitter facebook etc uh but this one is uh based around chris benoit so hopefully everyone digs it interesting source material but yeah it's good band for sure and uh yeah you guys have a good one we're gonna have another show like i said these are back-to-back shows these are fun now with this new schedule me and chris aren't allowed to have a life if we want to fucking cover this shit so We'll figure it out, though, after the hockey and basketball playoffs are done. We'll get back to our normal schedule. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing the next show, Raw, SmackDown, and uh, payback, um, you know, our, our what we think is going to happen, at least on the pay-per-view. So you guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. The Geek Fives be with you. And as always, peace out, Mother Fs.